The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, proudly brought to you by SJP World Media. I am Sai, and joining me as always on this week's edition, which is you know a guest week, and we bloody love guest week. But joining me as always is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend? I'm not too bad, mate. Better than I was yesterday. I am on a two-day hangover, um, so oh, this yeah. is uh, <laughs> well. You know, you see people you're not seen since before the pandemic, and it. It all gets a little bit silly, doesn't it? Um, so, yeah, I had, had a bit of a wild one on Friday, but I'm ready and raring to go. And like you say, it's guest week, so I'm massively excited. How are you doing, bud? Yeah, I'm okay. I'm okay. Looking forward to getting into this. It's quite... Uh, but th- there's a lot to talk about, I think. There's, there's a lot of positives, <laughs> and there's some stuff as well that I think we're going to have a bit of fun with, isn't there? Um, yeah, but... we're, we're skirting around it, but our guest's got a lot of explaining to do. But so I feel like I've interrupted... <laughs> I feel like you've got you've just interrupted your intro, so go ahead. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Um, yeah, well, as we mentioned, it is guest week, and our Tom Baker story for our fourth season of the podcast has been selected by our guest, and that is Tom Canning or at Tom the Pub on Twitter. How are you doing, sir? I'm absolutely bloody glorious. I'm I'm in the Estonian forest with with Wi-Fi held together by pigeons and string, uh, and I've been drinking solidly for the last two weeks. Receipt. Fantastic. That sounds exactly mm. like you'll fit in perfectly with this show. Then I love it. <laughs> Def- definitely one of us. Yes. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, you say in the forest for some reason I had and you said like the headset and so on I had an image then popping up in my mind of you not being in, in the room that I saw you in previously but literally being in the forest and just a headset yeah, I, no, next, I, to, I, next to an open fire you know <laughs> ex- ex- exactly that what you saw before was a lie um, th- th- this is this is real I'm in the forest there's, there's bears and you still <laughs> and, you, and you're still getting better Wi-Fi than I get in your auction <sighs> <laughs> Uh, so then, uh, our, as I mentioned, our Tom Baker story for this season of the Doctor Who pod was chosen by our guest today, Tom. Uh, Tom selected The Invasion of Time, which was first broadcast in February through to March of 1978. It's six parts, but it kind of feels like two stories in one in a way but we'll get into that shortly before we dive into the actual story and so on uh tom basically as as we do with every time we have a guest on as we do with every guest we have on the show uh we tend to ask pretty much the same questions where did your or when i suppose as well uh and and i suppose how did your doctor who fandom begin and uh, why did you select this particular doctor and this particular story Right. Um, I, I mean, I'm 43 years old now. Uh, so when I started watch, watching Doctor Who was sort of the the end of uh, Tom Baker, Peter Davidson, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, they got cancelled. Look at me remembering who the doctors are. Um, and... <laughs> 
me, me and my dad used to watch it. And we, 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 we knew it was silly. We knew it was a bit, a bit, bit bollocks. Um, but when it was cancelled, I, I found myself in, in the school library. I'm, I'm a great prolific reader, and I found myself in the school library, and they had all the Doctor Who books. And this one grabbed me because I, I, I knew I liked Tom Baker's Doctor. Um, I, I bloody loved Sontarans, and I loved Gallifrey stories, and I was reading this book, and in my mind, the, the, the pictures that I had of, of chasing through the TARDIS were just absolutely phenomenal. And when I eventually finally got around to buying it on DVD, I was just like, oh, it's a bit shit, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so brilliant. Your imagination, you know, can take you to so many places, but... but when you're on a budget and it's 1970 odd and uh, we haven't made advances in in uh, technologies we have now you know your sort of expectations go from up there to yeah yeah but yeah totally you it's mentioned funny, the sorry sorry, sorry. Uh, it's funny how you mention it you're reading the book first because mm. just as we'll go through this story there are so there is so much of this that now you say it would have been better as a as a novel yes it's it's so bizarre. It's it's almost been it's almost a novel come to life, but in in a lot of ways in a bad way. <laughs> I, I quite I quite agree. Um, and you know I don't know if there's a, there's an audio book of it or or what have you, but it's it sort of in in my mind it is so. It, I mean it's a fantastic story. There's twists and turns. There's all sorts going on. But you know, I think it, it might have been one of those ones that might have been maybe left left to the print and your your, your imagination and the the visual medium, shall we say? Yeah, the uh, the print polish the turd, so to speak. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> you mentioned the the library and the books and so on. There, uh, I'm assuming these are the um, was it Target publications used to do all the I th- all the. I th- I think so, and yeah. I, I was I was a I was a naughty little bugger because I I never gave the books back. I kept the books, and um, yeah, I, I probably still have fines at my school library. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not no, it's a scoundrel, <laughs> absolute scoundrel. Mentioning that, it is quite funny because it's a conversation I've had with my daughter Charlie in the last week or two. She, she's a big reader. Um, mm-hmm. She's you know loves all the Harry Potter books and all. She just constantly got her nose in a book if she's not watching Doctor Who itself. And mm-hmm. my mum reminded me that I used to go to the library uh, that was well, she used to take me to the library when I was a kid. Uh, that was local to where we lived. It was walking distance from from my house. And I used to do the same uh, as you mentioned that, you know, hiring out these uh, Target books and so on. Before I'd seen so many of the actual TV shows that these books were, you know, associated with. And in my mind, I started. Uh, our next step with Charlie is trying to get her into classic Who, but she's not biting yet. She's not in no part of it at the moment. She's got no interest. So I did think about getting some of the books for her, and because in in her mind, she can when they talk about the Doctor. In her mind, it will always inevitably be David Tennant in her head, mm-hmm. and and like you said, the imagination aspect of it, I I think she would enjoy the classic Who stories in the book form more so than actually watching them at the moment. It's it's an experiment. Uh, I I, mm. I would heartily recommend you buying a copy of the Invasion of Time, um, which is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, I will do. I'll look into that. I mean, there's quite <laughs> a few. You you can find some on eBay as well, and they and they vary from. 
oh, li- literally a, a couple of quid, right up to like 50, 60 pounds, depending on which ones they are. But I, I'm guessing some are rarer than others, or they might have had earlier editions, which are now worth more. I'm not 100% sure. I don't really, I've not really looked into it. But the prices I, I found really vary from title to title as well. Yeah, I mean, and again, you know, we, we could sort of like go a little bit sideways and say, well, what the hell's happened to our libraries? Well, <laughs> yeah that is true i passed the library uh in gloucester literally a week ago and it used to be next to what was the college and there's a bowling green next to it and it was very nice and scenic and everything was green and lovely around it you walk past it all now it's all overgrown that you know and the, the college has been turned into flats and it's just got benches full of people sat there drinking bottles of diamond white cider so it's not quite the same and you look through the window of the library and it's just rows of computers. So it's, it's a different situation now to when I was a kid, isn't it? Just to clarify, though, so you don't have to join them in drinking the cider every time. <laughs> oh, I was first there, mate. They came to me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now, this story, uh, The Invasion of Time, initially wasn't supposed to be the closer for this particular series in 1978. The original uh, story was was darker and apparently was going to take a lot more money to produce and it was entitled the killers of the dark Uh, it was basically literally considered too expensive to make because at the end of the series they were running out of money and and it shows in certain moments in this story so they decided to basically knock up another serial rather than lose the money that was set aside for this six-parter that the production team were given the option of finishing the season early and the money from that, that was left over in their budget that they were going to use for this six-parter rolling into the following season. But the production team and the people making this this particular story and, and this series of Doctor Who, you know, looking at the time, late 70s, all the, all the financial issues that came with that particular era, they thought that if they had tried to hold the money back for the following season, that same money would be worth less in, say, 18 months' time, so they wanted to make something with it now. So the story for this, the script itself, was actually put together in just two weeks. And there was a couple of different rewrites and so on as well. But yeah, the whole thing was actually put together in in just two weeks to basically use up the budget that was left. Um, A big part of this tale, not a big part, because it is almost like an afterthought at the end, I guess, but a big part for me personally is when... You know, any companion leaving the show to me is is a big moment in in the, in the show's history. We obviously lose Leela at the end of this. She, she leaves the story, leaves the show, and again, these were things that were uh, discussed back and forth a great deal, even going into the making of this and the rewriting of the script or putting together of this of this particular story, because they the production team and and the BBC and so on were really hoping that the actress that played Leela, Louise Jameson, was going to sign on for another season, and at one point actually thought she was going to, even though she quite adamantly said, according to to her to her, she quite adamantly said the whole time, "No, I'm leaving at the end of this season," and that's why when she does leave it does kind of feel a little bit out the blue with how it's handled um a little bit (laughs) yeah louise jameson herself actually wanted leela to get killed off at the end of this story or the the original story um that was that was written to finish this season but it was changed because well first of all uh, they were adamant going even halfway through this the making of this that she was going to stay and secondly the idea of a companion dying even though the idea that Louise Jameson had was that she was going to die protecting the doctor, which fits her character, I suppose. Leela was incredibly loyal, but the idea of that happening 
was seen to be too dark for a children's TV audience and would upset younger viewers. So it was changed to basically what we got at the end. So it seems that this this particular six-parter and this particular end of a season was really kind of up in the air and changes were being made right the way through it at the very last minute, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah, and I'll be honest, it shows. It really does. Um, as we'll get through this, it's it manages to feel like two or three different stories rammed together. There's bits of this that just there's so feels like there's so much filler in terms of just random shots of people doing virtually nothing. And yeah, uh, you, you can tell it was uh, thrown together last minute. Mm. Oh, oh well, shall we? Shall we just dive into it now? I mean, we've said that it's obviously a six-parter. <clears throat> It does feel like there's a few different tales kind of lumped in together. So it kind of sometimes, you know, sometimes feels a bit, a bit blocky, a bit um, doesn't always flow potentially. So I don't know how we're going to deal with this, whether we go through it episode by episode as we do sometimes, or we just have a general chat about the whole story. But Dan, if you want to, you want to dive on in and give us your first impressions, because I'm assuming that before you pressed play for the podcast, you'd not seen this before. No, never seen it. Didn't know a thing about it. And if I, if memory serves, I think this is our first time seeing Leela on the show. Um, yes, I think so. Yeah. So, <laughs> thank you very much. Um, so I think I guess I'll just I'll start from the beginning, and then we'll we'll see where this conversation takes us. Really, I think that's the only way to uh, to approach yeah. this. Um, we we start out with the spaceships in space, looking spacey. Um, as, they're, as they're approaching a planet. And then we've got um, Tom Baker surveying a series of butt plugs, uh, by the looks of it. I've got exactly the same notes. <laughs> <laughs> I've got butt plug chairs written down. This is incredible. <laughs> oh, God. Alcohol, Doctor Who, bit of a degenerate. Welcome along, mate. <laughs> You're going to get on well. <laughs> this could be another AB four-hour special. <laughs> There's something about this as well with regards to what we see at the beginning and, and kind of for the first couple of couple of episodes. We're led to believe a certain thing is happening when obviously that's not the case by the time we get to the end of the story. But my mind goes back to that time. I mean, for, for me watching this back, I, I try and watch these things in one hit where possible. So for me, it was quite easy. The show would finish. I'd get the next one and see where we went. But we spoke about it on the podcast before with regards to Classic Who and cliffhangers and um, sometimes in the first episode of, of a story, not 100% having an, any idea what the story was about or where we were going. People back back in 78 would have to wait a whole week to get the next part for this. So I'm always quite fascinated by how the, the TV ratings and the amount of viewers are because we've we've seen it before, Dan, haven't we? Where we've had an episode, a first episode, and the viewership is, you know, it, it is what it is. It's very high for the time. Is you know nine, ten million, whatever it may well be. And then episode two tends to drop down to uh, uh, dramatically to sort of seven, eight million viewers, and then slowly build back up as the story carries on. And it's it's interesting to me that this particular story, the first couple of episodes, where you don't really know what's happening with the Doctor, why he's behaving in this peculiar way, and so on. They're clearing 11 million for both of them. There's no drop-off at all in the first couple of episodes. Wow. Whereas I think in today's world, where we've got streaming services and we can watch it all in one hit, that's fine. But back in the 70s, at the end of episode one, I'd be thinking, oh, I don't know if I bother with that next week. What was all that about? 
But then I was thinking the same thing about your adults. I'd have to kind of know what was going on. And by the time you're two, three weeks in, you're thinking, oh, well, I'll finish it off, but I'm not enthused about it. Okay. Yeah, it was, I, I'll be honest. I had to do this in three hits. Um, did three lots of two episodes, and I, by the end of it, I was I was thinking, oh, okay, right, got to watch it. Let's get it done. I really wasn't uh, asked by the end, um, but you know, it starts off strong with amusing butt plug chairs, especially when the doctor tells them that he's prepared and speed is vital. Um, <clears throat> just making my own dirty jokes there to amuse myself. <laughs> um, we get Leela asking K9 how long they'll be, and K9 pisses me off because he's just a rambling little gobshite. Um, so basically, they're waiting for the doctor. <laughs> they have a, just a whole back and forth of Leela wanting to go outside. The scanner won't work because the doctor's uh, the doctor's turned it off, so she couldn't see what was happening. And then K9's having a sulk, despite it saying he's got no emo- no emotions, and and, all, and we're starting off with kind of rambly shit. Okay. To me, it's... At least at this point, it still felt like it was it was sort of going somewhere, and it does eventually. Um, the doctor's the doctor's back in. He's in sort of a, a contractual dispute with these mysterious beings, but they're taking control of the timelines. And this is actually intriguing, because the doctor seems to be siding with somebody against the Time Lords. So immediately, you sort of, your ears prick up, don't they? Uh-huh. You're thinking, what the hell's going on? Um, and something's off with him immediately, with how short he is with Leela, um, how just his general demeanour is all very off. I will say, though, for all my complaints that I'll have about this, Tom Baker was sublime throughout. Um, he, he, he kind of saved it for me. Sorry, Tom, what was that? I said, there's bits where he's chewing the bloody scenery. He's acting his absolute socks off. Yeah, I think he had to, to make anything of this. Um, we have the, did you guys catch the cheesy line where the doctor tells Leela to, to tell K9 to tell her to shut up? And she, <laughs> just sort of, yes. and she just sort of blindly goes along with it and then, she, oh shit, I look a dickhead. Yeah, but I, I, that... I, I, sorry, Tom. I, I had a, a bit of a flash forward. Do you, do you remember the... Um, uh, the end of one of the tenant ones where uh, him and Donna it's, uh, mm. it's, uh, 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 being lowered into a pit by Davros, whatever that it was it. Um, I can't remember the bloody name of it, but it goes, shush, shush, can't be quiet. Oh, spanners. And all yeah. like that. I, I was sort of reminded of, of, of that little throw forward, if you will, to that. Okay, yeah. yeah, I can see that. Mm. Yeah, I can get that. I can get that. I mean, with Leela as well, you got you got a member that I, I don't know how to word this politely or or correctly, whatever. But her character is the, that of a savage, isn't it? She, she was from a tribe, and I suppose limited intelligence maybe could be sort of put towards her character in certain. Well, I suppose when the script called for it. So in that scenario, it was toying on or playing with the whole. You know, she's blindly loyal to the Doctor, does whatever she's told, follows blindly and, and, and so on, and, and kind of made herself look a bit of a mug by doing that, I suppose, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah I do get that. Cause you can, well, you, tell, you can tell by the end when he calls her, he does call her savage. And there's various points in the story where she's asking what words mean. And so, so it's obvious that she's kind of learning as she goes along with the Doctor. Yes, 
Yes. I, I, I love Leela as well. I think she's fantastic. I mean, first of all, she, she's bloody great to look at. Let's, let's you know, get that out of the way straight away. But secondly, I've, I like the dynamic of she's willing to just blindly follow and also kill at a moment's notice for the Doctor's benefit. And everything about her character is to protect the Doctor, even though she's using... Well, she's using her knife and aggression and, and so on, which the Doctor doesn't like. There's traits of that inner character that you've got to kind of admire because of how much she adores him. I think. Yeah, definitely. I don't think, I don't think she'd be she'd be written the same way in 2023 as she was in 1970. No, no. Um, but I mean, yes. I mean, she was my dad's favourite. Um, I can't think why, but uh, <laughs> um, the athletics he used to watch the the ladies doing the running, and he used to say wobbly, 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 wobbly. But that's <laughs> Okay, now. Yes, oh. I know. <laughs> yeah. Well, back, <laughs> yeah. back to the story. We're, we're on Gallifrey fairly immediately. We're already bouncing around. Um, there's an incoming capsule, uh, and they're put onto an amber alert using a glowing Satsuma, which was, yes. uh, which was unique. Um, yeah. Oh, see, I, 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 had, I had snooker ball technology here. Oh, snooker ball tech. I thought it was yeah, like, like a ping that. pong ball or something. <clears throat> what kind of ping pong balls are you playing with? Wow. Different game down here in Gloucester, mate. <laughs> it's, it's baby bells. He's <laughs> always got machines for <laughs> uh, The Amber Alert goes off in the Doctor's TARDIS. And I can see what they're trying to do here in, in you know, syncing everything up. Uh, at this point, we've also met, uh, we've also met uh, Commander Andred, who will go on to be, uh, play a big part. Uh, basically, all this is around this incoming TARDIS. They have a big thing about saying there's only two Time Lords absent, but neither of them match some sort of molecular codex, and Andred's ordered to kill anyone on board, and if there's nobody on board, destroy it. Uh, we have uh, Leela, who's having a swim for reasons and just on a personal note I didn't quite like seeing the swimming pool part of the TARDIS because it made me think of Matt Smith when he crash lands in his first episode yeah yeah and uh, we do come back to that later on <laughs> as well don't we um I can't wait to get into that you've heard the running around the TARDIS rooms and so on that's gonna be fantastic <laughs> we need about 10 extra minutes in this episode what shall we do um space time TARDIS loop just get him walking through the same scenery every single fucking time. <laughs> oh God! So you say that I'm laughing as 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 you say this, and yeah, there's aspects of this where I'm mocking and so on. But I'm gonna put my cards on the table straight away. I really enjoyed this, so I don't want anyone to think that I'm being negative for negative sake. I'm, I, there are things you can have a laugh and a joke about with it, of course, because it is TV of you know what is it. 40 odd years 45 years old or whatever it may well be mm. and there is a lot that you look at and think why yeah money wise they they obviously were running out or mm, that maybe looked good at the time but it hasn't aged well now and so on but ultimately uh, there's a lot to this story that i really enjoyed there are some high points but i will be ripping the piss out of it a lot fair enough <laughs> oh don't be cruel <laughs> don't upset Brilliant. our guest Dan. don't upset our guest but I want her. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the TARDIS materialises on Gallifrey. They're in the Panopticon. The uh, the butt plug monsters are happy to see that the Doctor has entered, and there's lots of guards. Oh, <laughs> 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 
Yes. The Doctor comes out and he just waltzes through it. This is sort of a running theme of the serial, that he's just cool under pressure, you know, <laughs> guns being pointed at him. And the classic thing, you know, offering Andrew a jelly baby. Um, Leela gets put under guard and the Doctor's just swanning off as if he owns the place because technically he does. Yeah. Yeah, he is still officially the president, I guess. He, he has this right to claim the presidency because what happened in uh, Deadly Assassin, I think it was. It was, yeah, the one that we covered last season. Mm-hmm. Um, and he do, he essentially does, does just that. He waltzes into Chancellor Barusa's office and wants to claim the titles on her duty and obedience of all colleges and claim the inheritance of Rassilon, which I did quite like seeing this follow-up after we did Deadly Assassins last season. It, it's, it's tied up quite nicely. Yeah. Welcome to the continuity, lads. You're welcome. Did, did that play <laughs> back your thinking? Uh, so, yes, a little bit. Oh, you're too good to us. You really are. Uh, well, it's, you know. Help those it's never ended our thinking. Yeah, as well, just getting, uh, just getting where we are. Yeah, for some reason, we have a shot of K9 asking the TARDIS where the doctor is, and it beeps, and he calls it a stupid machine. Don't know why that was there because it's never followed up on. Um, there's a bit of political intrigue between Barusa and the Doctor, and he's, he's, he's not disputing the claim, but he doesn't like the Doctor's arrogance in doing it. And the Doctor's having a jab about how Barusa used to bore him with uh, responsibility and duty and things of that nature. And this is where we see the Doctor getting rather forceful in his insistence that he wants the um, that he wants the president presidency. He wants to be sworn in. And it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely an attitude switch. And I've actually got in my notes, I'm not convinced this is the real Doctor. Okay. Uh, Interesting. That's where I thought this was going at this point. Having never seen it, I thought that it was it was either maybe some sort of double or mind control or, or just an act. So I think he did a, he did a good job of, of sowing enough doubt, but without being sort of too obvious. It always felt like there was something brewing. Hmm. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, and sorry, Tom. Yeah, I, I just absolutely loved the, the chemistry between Barusa and, and the doctor. I just thought they they elevated each other and you know, it went from regional theatre production to, to to the Haymarket in London where they were just <laughs> totally acting each other off the screen. It was it was absolute joy to watch. Absolute it was joy. It was 100% believable that they had been teacher and student for, for decades, for centuries. At that point, it really was. They, they yes. worked really well together. And I, had to, I actually had to look up to see if I'd ever seen uh, the guy who played Barusa in, uh, in anything before. And I'm astonished to find that I haven't, because uh, John Arnott put in a bloody good performance. Yeah, that was was he was he still? Sorry to go sideways on this. Was he still Barusa uh, in in the Five Doctors? I don't think so. I think it was okay. a different Barusa in the Five Doctors. Um, I may be just doing a bit of live googling to uh, to see if I can find that out. So no, he's only got one credit like for Doc. He's, he's only got one credit for Doctor Who, and it was this episode, <sighs> which is a shame. The beauty of regeneration, eh? <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. So where were we? Yeah, we've got the uh, we're introduced to the uh, to the Castellan at this point as well. Um, 
he's, a, he's a little creep, isn't he? Uh, but we have mm. seen the we have seen the Castellan before. Uh, that is uh, an actor called Milton Johns, uh, also real name John Robert Milton, uh, and he was uh, Benick in uh, the Enemy of the World. Uh, okay, that we covered. Yeah, back in the trout. I, I don't remember him, but okay. <laughs> Well, I do, and you recognised him from somewhere. I think he was a bit of a creep in that as well. <laughs> he's he's like cast a little bit then. He was he was in Star Wars as well. He was, yeah. I think he was in uh, Empire. Yes, could be, could be. He was, he was one of the one of the Imperial officers. Um, I did like um, I did like the little exchange. Sorry, just going back between Barusa and the Doctor, where the Doctor says you haven't been given leave to depart yet, and he just turns around and says, "Until you are ratified as president, I do not need to. I do not need your leave to do anything." Yeah, <laughs> yeah he was. He, he kind of he stole the show a little bit in this. I was saying it was Tom Baker that held it together, but after you said that uh, earlier, Tom, I realised yeah, Barusa more than played his part. Uh, the Castellan's basically sucking up to any to the most senior person in the room at any given time. Uh, the doctor's discussing how he wants his um, how he wants his room decked out, and he wants Earth zero seven three period panelling to basically make it a lead lined room. Mm. And the, but they go through a lot of rambling about how to get about how you know to get to that point. It's a you know it's a good sort of ninety seconds of, of just chatting random waffling bollocks about different style you know different styles and, and all the rest of it it's, but it was at this point when i heard lead lined room i was thinking okay this might actually be the doctor but he's definitely cooking something up uh they're trying to they're trying to get leela to wear anything that isn't her her tribal clothes she just wants a quiver a bow a pouch of janice thorns and a knife back uh she gets frustrated no clothes <laughs> <laughs> Well, everything that's offered to us wildly impractical for someone whose whole life has essentially been about been about survival and fighting. Mm. So it is it is logical. Uh, the Doctor and Bruce are discussing the ceremony. They're introdu- the introduction of the Matrix. He'll become part of him as he'll become part of it. Um, there's sort of previous exploits uh, of uh, the, just everything going on, and. The uh, the book club monsters are getting excited as the first phase is nearing completion and they'll have complete power. Um, I did like Leela distracting Andred with talk of honour as she nicked a knife back. And he just says, you don't have to do anything, but please try to avoid killing anyone. <laughs> Which, again, is a running theme for that character, isn't it? Yeah, but, you know, it's fair. And we get this again. It's it's just more filler where we have two time lords just waiting for this ceremony to start. I think it's two of the cardinals, and they're just talking random wee woo be boop waffly bollocks about cyclic burst ratios and wavelength broadcast transduction. You know, we all know this. We're Doctor Who fans. It's Statler and Waldorf for the sci-fi generation. Yeah, but Statler and Waldorf are entertaining. Oh come on, be nice. These two were just stood there. These two were just stood there talking shit to fill time. Yes, it's like any boring uncle at a fucking wedding. Yeah, fair point. And it also makes the Time Lords come across as, I suppose, rightfully so, potentially the geekiest race we we in, we come across in Doctor Who. If this is their idea of just uh, you know chit chat and uh, gossip and and so on, that they come across quite geeky and nerdy here, don't they? I, I put very Catholic, very Tory. Fair enough. 
Oh, we're not going back to calling people Tories. I mean, we spent the whole episode doing that with uh, in this season with the. Oh, which which one was it? It was the one with the mini scope, wasn't it? Oh, yes. You should, you should you should see my Twitter feed, mate. I have it's glorious, and I agree with every word. <laughs> <laughs> Are you on glue? I'm, I'm on what? Sorry. No, it's it's my standard standard response when any Tory makes some stupid asinine statement. I used to call them nonces, then they got banned. So I now just ask them, are they on glue? Oh, I thought you said, I thought you I thought you said are you on blue? I thought it was like I don't have Twitter blue. Why would I have that? Oh, you, you're, I'll hang up if you're on Twitter blue. No, definitely not. I'm not. I've <laughs> subscribed to some absolute bullshit, but I'm not subscribing to that. Um, anyway, back to the getting to the end of it because this Sorry. is everything, no, it's fine. Everything we've talked about so far, this was all filling twenty five minutes, and we're only just getting to the swearing in ceremony. Yeah. So we have the big, you know, the music and the procession, and Tom Baker's in looking like a giant choir boy. He takes the podium. They do the ceremony. The book. <laughs> just realised I'm about to say choir boy and book clubs very close to each other. Um, the book club you said the, cardinals a few sentences ago. I, I did as well. <laughs> you did say it was very Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, this is lined up far too well. <laughs> um, no one protests the doctor getting sworn in. He has the the sash and <laughs> they give the wrong to the doctor as he looks like a giant choir boy. <laughs> and his his job is now to seek the great key of Rassilon. And the doctor's effectively emotionless and dead-eyed throughout of it. Throughout, um, he's presented with two of the items off cushions that look like jelly. The sci-fi. Well, they're vinyl, aren't they? They're, they're they're the vinyl plastic inflatable pillows. Yeah. Uh, sci-fi yeah, IKEA. What... Sci-fi IKEA. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, my um, my sister and her chap when they first got together and had a flat had a sofa made of that. Literally just because you know first place together trying to save money whatever they had an inflatable sofa and it looked like one of those cushions that sounds horrendous yeah i looked after the flat for a weekend when they went away and he left me a few bits and bobs few beers in the fridge and whatever and the one rule he gave me was do not smoke a joint sat on that sofa and when he came back there was a, a couple of pink skin colored plasters covering a hole because i blatantly just sat there and smoked the joint sat on that sofa <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear! Good luck with editing this. <laughs> oh, this is all staying in. <laughs> so the the doctor effectively collapses on the stage, and that's then that's where the doctor died, because that's the end of part one. And I'll be honest, I watched it, and my summation is a few words, and it just says that was a bit wank. Okay. The first part <laughs> again, just it felt very plodding and see, i think i've got see sorry for me it it comes back to what i was saying about how waiting a week for the next episode and so on to me this is all world building this is all this is all build up to where we're heading but it's not like if you watch new who night obviously those episodes are longer they're like 45 minutes to an hour or whatever you get ten ten minutes or so of world be- building and and setting the scene and so on before we get into the meat of the episode, the meat of the story. Here, to me, this is this is like the beginning of an episode of New Who. They're building up what where we're going to go, but it's taken a whole episode to do it. So you're you're comparing. So if we're using wrestling balance, you're thinking of this as more a 
<laughs> a Rick a Rick Flair sixty minute Broadway. Yeah, potentially. Then, uh, then, then a, <laughs> you know, crash the crash bang wallet ten minute TV match. Yeah, potentially. It's it's. I look at the story as a whole, and this is obviously setting the scene, isn't it? But it just seems to take again a, a while to do that, and it takes like the whole of the first episode to get to where we're heading. I suppose. I see your point, and I do understand it. It's just it managed to make twenty five minutes feel like fifty. Okay, but I mean, again, from my standpoint, I I watched all this in one hit, so it didn't bother me. I go back to if you watched it, you know, week to week. Mm. I think it would bother me. Do you know what I mean? Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm I'm, I'm wondering if if spacing it out, then this could just be the difference between you know between me me and you and then the circumstances of watching it. I'm wondering if spreading it out might have actually helped me, okay. <laughs> rather, rather than doing it in three goes. Because I came out of that first episode and then just like we'll see where it goes, but that wasn't brilliant. Well, okay. I, th- I think I think as well, you know, you, you sort of in, in you who you have, you know, over the whole series, you you have you know building to a big bad like you know bad bad wolf. Um, mm. What was the the the, the master's uh, prime minister? What was his name? Howard. John some Harold Harold Saxon. Harold Saxon, thank you. I'm glad you haven't had as many concussions as I have. Um so <laughs> you know, there's 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 themes and, and bits in there. It's 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 like when Sweet Sapphire was, was being given um mysterious gifts and Dusty Rhodes didn't know where it was coming from, you know, and uh, then she vanished. Yeah. So SummerSlam 90 reference for you there if you want Yeah, to totally, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> I have vague recollections of hearing something about that story. Yeah. Hey, Hexa, have you seen Safa? No, no, I haven't, Dust, but we're all still looking for him. It's oh, that is just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Doug and stomping around, looking in the same place over and over again. <laughs> <laughs> She's still not here. It's like, because you haven't fucking left yet and looked anywhere else. <laughs> it just so happens to be the fridge. <laughs> Hexa, maybe, maybe you want to go uh, maybe look in the uh, the fridge if you will <laughs> and back on Gallifrey uh, <laughs> we're, we're, go, we're going to part two the Doctor's suffering under the, the, this Matrix circlet thing that connects him to all that Leela's trying to help him out uh, Time Lord suggesting he should be rejected he uh, should be arrested for being rejected by the Matrix they have some legal wrangling about who's the president and does this render it, you know, obsolete or whatever. And Leela's the only one who actually stands there and says, yeah, but is he going to die? Is he all right? Yeah. Yeah, but she ends up getting blamed, doesn't she? Yeah. It's it's a bit of a daft one, really. The the doctor gets taken to the Chancellor and Barusa's gets a bollocking off somebody for keeping his bureaucratic problems to himself and the butt plugs are somewhat distressed. <laughs> no one likes a distressed butt plug. <laughs> oh man, if we gave these if we gave if we gave these episodes titles <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Who, Invasion of Time, nobody likes a distressed butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> So the doctors suffered a severe submental shock, and they give him the dose of this stuff that should wake, take hours to wake him up. But he's awake immediately because the plot needed him to be. Um, Barusa decides to blame Leela. She insists it was the uh, the circlet. The doctor orders are removed because there's no aliens allowed in the citadel. Again, very undoctor like, uh-huh. especially considering he's the one that fucking brought her. Yeah. 
bit of a dick move. Uh, Leela escapes and guards run after her. Uh, lucky for her, the uh, the guards are fucking useless. That is something that pops up quite a bit in this story, isn't it? I think they need to have some kind of overhaul of their security or, or you know, extra classes in the academy for the guards or something because they don't do very good at their job, do they, really? They're effectively time lord stormtroopers. <laughs> yeah. And it doesn't help when Leela's offence is weaker than mostly British wrestlings, but, you know, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Castellan creeps his way into being in charge of seeing Leela out of the city. Oh, sorry, Tom, go on. Yeah, I was just going to say the, five, the, the, the Castellan is being a five-star cunt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute twat. He's just he really a slimy is. bastard, eh? Yeah, makes my skin crawl. You can tell he was. <laughs> you can tell he'd be the one at be the one at school going, sir, sir. He's just done that to me. Yep. <laughs> Invasion of time, part two: the return of Uncle Nancy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've had God. a drink. <sighs> yeah, that's fine. I say that <laughs> shit when I'm sober. <laughs> We have an attempt at comedy where the Doctor doesn't understand that the ringing in his head is the alarm going off. He's sort of been knocked a bit loopy by the whole experience. Bruce is not fooled. Uh, The Doctor can never deceive him. He knows that something's up. Which, fair enough. I believe Bruce. Um, But the Doctor insists that while Leela is free in the Citadel that they're all in danger, Bruce effectively calls him melodramatic and leaves. Uh, (laughs) With Bruce gone... Uh, Leela's hiding from the guards, the Doctor's getting dressed, um, making sure he's got his giant bubble wrap sash and his hat, and there's guards at the door, so he can't leave, but he finds a hidden door in Bruce's office, and he tries to sonic his way out, and it doesn't work, and <laughs> this was cheesy as shit, but I, I'm pretty sure I, I only like it because it's on Baker. He pretty much looks directly at the camera and says, even the Sonic will get me out of this one. Yes, I love that. That was like a dig at some of the people who were mocking Doctor Who at the time because the Sonic screwdriver, uh, it had been, obviously, Triton had one, I think, uh, and mm. so on. But by this point in the show, Tom Baker's Doctor would, I suppose, very similar to New Who, really. It's a device that gets you out of pretty much fucking anything, isn't it? So yeah. it's it kind of like a running joke, and uh, there was uh, uh, comedians making jokes about it and so on. And I get the impression that Tom Baker there was take that was his own little dig back at them, so to speak. And that's fair enough, I think. It is the one thing that really, really, I, I'm not a fan of in, in New Who how the sonic screwdriver has become this magic wand. Yeah, ostensibly that you know can do anything, be anything, get you out of anything. Um, it's just like it's it's an end to a means. It's it's not Deus ex machina. It's not you know your just otherwise. You know, why, why call it Doctor Who? Why not just call it the Adventures of the Sonic Screwdriver, wielded by a different person every three years or so? I was going to suggest I was <laughs> going to suggest calling it Doctor Screw, but I think I've been I think I've seen that on the uh, the orange and black side. So we'll we'll leave that there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, with the Sonic Screwdriver, though, the one thing one thing I did really did like was in the 50th anniversary where John Hurt's War Doctor was just calling out how ridiculous it was. It, he yes, said, "Why are you it, pointing? They're scientific instruments, not not weapons. What are you going to do? Assemble a cabinet at them?" <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. 
Uh, I've lost my place in my notes again because I'm fucking shit. Uh, yeah, so the doctor goes through a whole thing about just talking to himself and monologue about finding his way out and eventually settles on the fact that Barusa has a voice activated lock. And it's activated by the phrase, there's nothing more useless than a lock with a voice print. Which, okay, but wouldn't that surely just be coded to Barusa's voice? Now, in the book, this section is absolutely brilliant. Really? It, honest, honestly, tr- trust me, um, because it, it's not a case of, of, of Baker just, just dropping his voice a little bit going, there's honestly nothing more useless than the voice, but he tries all different ways and means of doing it, and it, it's one of the things that I sort of remembered uh, when I was re-watching it, it was it was just a fabulous. It was only about a page and a half, but it was it just painted this picture so brilliantly, and it's just so sad that it took took him one go, and it's not that uh-huh. great, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, well, uh, funny enough, because you've been uh, waxing lyrical about it while you were uh, while you were talking, and then so I was asking questions. I've actually ordered it, <laughs> so it's on its way to me. Tommy one. Uh, <laughs> um, the doctor's walking the halls in and he hopscotches his way past Leela who follows him and has a knife drawn uh, Andrew tells the Castellan that they found Leela with the doctor and they say he's online too as if he's called them but he hasn't, they're just they're watching him I'm not sure yeah, it was weird um, the Castellan Ask, uh, communicates with the Chancellor and asks if the President is still with him and asks to be informed when he wakes up. So it's obvious that he's got some form of machination going on. Uh, we get more of Leela following the Doctor and then Castellan orders Andred after Leela. The, uh, the, the Doctor pulls a power move, just forces the guards to bow to the sash. But that also lets Leela walk right past him. Again, not great guarding by the guards. Yeah, well, it's, it's 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 Tom Baker just walk, walking through. I don't give a fuck. I am the president. Bow to the Tasha Blast on. Oh, it's brilliant. He, he he goes into his TARDIS and Leela can't get in because it's locked. She tries to pick it with the knife. There's guards approaching, and we get some good old set wobble, which I loved. It just it was that where 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 and, did the set wobble? Sorry, uh, when Leela's banging on the TARDIS door, the whole thing shook. Oh, okay, right. It was beautiful. I mean, I mean that genuinely. I absolutely love it when stuff oh, like that happens. Yeah, and me. I get a great kick out of that. I like it as well when in the um, the black and white era, when what, the one wall of the TARDIS in certain um, certain shows, certain stories, I think it's more so Triton's era maybe. Uh, it's mm. it's basically, basically just a curtain or a picture, isn't it, of the round things mm. painted on it. And then every now and again, the whole thing will wobble like like a curtain. I love it. It's, it's fantastic. It just makes me happy. Uh, the doctor's actively got his fingers in his ears as Leela's banging on the door. She takes cover as the guards arrive. Andrid thinks Leela's in there with the doctor, and he, he figures out what we all obviously already know, that Type 40 TARDISes have trimonic locking devices, so needs a set of cipher indent keys. Quite frankly, he should have had those with him at the start, but as we've yep. said, the pretty crap guards. Be prepared. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, uh, yeah, just... Not great. Uh, the doctor's having a chat with K9, um, saying there's too many. K9 saying there's too many variables, such as humanoid illogical procedure. Uh, 
and they've got a 39.75 chance of success. Uh, the doctors discovered the security control room, which increases success to 48.35%. And canine advises against any plan below 65%, because what says better television than discussing percentages? Um, but at least with the, at least with this, I'm, that was a bit snarky on me, because at least they're giving knowledge that something is, is in the works and something's going to happen very soon. See, the percentages thing, though, th- that makes me think of Quantum Leap. When you know Al's there with a the hand link saying, "Oh, Ziggy says there's a seventy-two percent chance you're here to fix this," so I didn't mind that. Fair enough. I've, I've not watched enough. I've not watched enough Quantum Leap. Um, in fact, I think I've watched one episode. Dear but there we go. Me, dear me. Well, I'm too busy watching Doctor Who and, and random wrestling for podcasts. Fair enough. <laughs> Sorry, Tom. You were going to say. I was just said they've they remade Quantum Leap. I think I saw something on the Book of Faces. Yeah, they have. Yes, indeed, it's on uh, Paramount Plus. The I first. I got it literally just for that. The first nine episodes came out a while back, and the second nine of the the new season is um, out. I think next Sunday. Uh, and to be fair, they've done a good they've done a good job. I mean, I love I love the originals. One of my favourite shows growing up. But they've done a decent enough job, and the fact that it's like a follow-on rather than a reboot okay. is quite good. So you get throwbacks to the old characters and references to things that happened with the project back in the day. Um, there's all these teases about the new guy who's leaping around in time. They're teasing it almost like he's doing it to try and track down Sam, the original guy, but it's not confirmed yet. And it is quite interesting. And it's got the guy who played Winston from Ghostbusters in it, so that's a bit of a win for me as well. <laughs> and if you want to hear more on size thoughts on, uh, on Quantum Leap, on the original Quantum Leap, you can listen to The Waiting Room right here on SJP World Media. You can indeed. <laughs> oh, ah, yeah. oh, boy, indeed. <laughs> Even I got that reference. It took me a second, but I got it. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, canine advises against any plan below 65% chance of success. The doctor suggests reflecting a transmission beam off the security shield and feeding it back through a link crystal bank and boosting it through the transducer, which, you know, when you say it that simply, it, it's obvious. Yeah, yeah, stands to reason. Yeah, we will be boop. Love it. Um, they have, the canine has a bit of a jab saying that the, the probability of Doctor explaining it better than him is less than 1% uh, Doctor calls him an insufferable bean tin and uh, then kind of realises that that's probably how people think about him <laughs> there we go and they finally decide that K9 is going to go destroy the security control centre after the Doctor feeds in the Doppler effect to eliminate the redshift and then the invasion success probability is 98.2% Take that. Yeah, it's yeah, I like their mods. Yeah. Um, but obviously we don't know yet who or what's invading, you know. It's all we've seen so far is the book plug monsters, which Yeah. You know. Um yeah. this is obviously we're heading towards the end of episode two now, and we get the cliffhanger of seeing the butt plug monsters uh, arriving. And it, it's it's shocking to me that they can actually look worse. But anyway, sorry, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> Worse than distressed butt plugs. Yeah, you, you, you wait, wait till the note I have for episode three for that. Yeah. Um, Leela's still on the run. She's found a, one of the highest rated security rooms, and there's a character called Rodan in there. 
Hello, Rodan. <laughs> you like Rodan, do you, Tom? <laughs> like a jelly baby. Uh, there's a um. Obviously, she's behind this kind of force field thing, isn't she? This kind of security barrier, and I found something on YouTube not long before we started recording, actually, that shows the special effects for this story from '78, and then next to it, in the same video, is the sort of remastered or re-imaged special effects that they did in 2008. I don't know if it was on the DVD release or something. I assume it was. Yes. Yeah, some, yeah, somebody's put the two videos next to each other, so you can directly compare, and the. This scene where Leela is talking to the the time lady, what was her name? Sorry, Rodan. Rodan. Rodan, When she's talking to Rodan, Leela's got to pretend there's something there, like some sort of leather-clad, knifed-up mime, hasn't she? On the (laughs) the redo in 2008, they've actually got a red kind of wobbly special effect whenever she touches where the force field or, or, or 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 shield is. And it looks really good on the remake of it. It's really sort of really well done. And it adds more to what Leela's actually doing in this scene. But they didn't give us that on Britbox. No, no, on Britbox is the original. I, I, I did have the option on the, on the DVD to watch it with the uh, updated special effects, but because I'm a purist, I, I watched it with the shit. <laughs> I'm glad you did as well, because I, yeah. I think, I, I think I, if I was given the choice, I think I would do the same. Yeah, yeah, we, we have to have these things as it were. You can't polish a turd. <laughs> they, they do give it a good go, to be fair, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like you say, so we're coming to the end of, uh, of episode two. There's, I suppose there's not a lot that, that happens between meeting Rodan and, and the actual end. We've got more stuff of the Castellan asking Bruce if the president's still in his room. Uh, the doctor's actually coming back in. He's taking his place there. He lays back down, and nobody notices that he's got dressed while he's allegedly been asleep. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't even think of that. <laughs> it, it bugged me straight away. <laughs> uh, we've got a lot of shots of K nine going down a ramp, Rodan waffling on about uh, about how time lords fight on their own terms, and Rodan and this Rodan actually lets her in because they're having a good chat. We see spaceships in space being spacey, and K-9 uh, zaps <laughs> zaps a couple of guards. Another extended trundling shot, and K-9 destroys a console, which effectively gives the invading fleet chance to get in. Uh, the Doctor gathers the council. Rodan announces the invasion. The Doctor says it's not an ordinary meeting as he wants to introduce their new masters. We get wee-woo-bee-boom noises as things materialise and we get some wonderful manic Tom Baker laughter. Yeah, it, it's what evil, Doctor, isn't it? What have you done? Yeah, it's, it's, definitely, a good, it's definitely a good cliffhanger. Yeah, that is, that's because you, you just don't know what's going on. And Tom Baker as a baddie, I suppose, in this plays it really really well i think uh but the crackly things when they arrive and obviously we go into part three now and we see these 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 beings these butt plugs for for what, what they are they're, they're called vardens and they're basically tin foil aren't they i put them down as evil plastic bags evil plastic bags i put <laughs> down floating shimmering jizz showers <laughs> <laughs> should we compromise and call them jizz bags yeah let's do 
Perhaps they are the packaging the butt plugs came in. <laughs> so they becoming distressed. Yeah, exactly. Nobody wants nobody wants their butt plugs becoming distressed in transit. Obviously, yeah. you, can't, you can't trust DHL in places like that, can you? Every they leave the fucker out in the sun. <laughs> never, trust, never trust Hermes with your butt plug. No, indeed. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, got a snout out of somebody. Eh? Um, as episode three opens, Bruce is calling the doctor mad and orders the guard to fire, but the guard gets killed. And the doctor's saying that resistance is useless as the Vardens have more power and knowledge than they can hope for. And they must submit like he did the first time he met them long ago. And Barusa, in an act of stating the obvious, says that the doctor knew about this before the coronation. Yeah. Yeah, it's all becoming clear now. <laughs> Again, the, the, the effects that, um, that they sort of redid... This, to me, again, shows why I think watching it in its original form is the way to go. Because the Vardens, in the sort of redone special effects, they're more, like, human-shaped. They're more sort of humanoid-shaped arms and legs and so on. And just sort of flickering people, I guess, rather than what they are here. And I think, okay, we're, we're, we're mocking it. We're sort of making fun of it. But I think it's kind of the charm of Classic Who, where, where they haven't got much money and they make stuff out of bubble wrap and plastic pillows and all that sort of stuff. And jizz bags. Jizz bags, yeah. Yeah, you're right, it is. Some, there's, there's good shit, there's funny shit, and then there's just downright bad shit. Yeah. That's sort of how, yeah, I think, or at least how I have to sort of pass it in my head. And we're going to see some funny shit as we go into episode five. <laughs> because... Uh, <laughs> It takes a turn, and oh boy, <laughs> uh, Rodan and Leela argue about the Doctor's orders to submit. Uh, Rodan's all for it, as it's ordered by the President, and Leela's keeping the faith that the Doctor has a plan. Uh, the Doctor's very concerned uh, with the, whether his office has been redecorated or not, and he wants to meet Barusa there within the hour. Uh, the Vardans congratulate the Doctor and say he could be a first-rate dictator. Yes, he's very happy about that, the Doctor, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. He's, he's applied his power very well. And uh, it's, they, keep, they keep repeating the phrase, it's just a matter of time and, and about finding the great key. Um, but again, it, it never... That, that phrase, it seemed to be very loaded, but it never played out, really, saying it's just a matter of time. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the power of being in control of all of time is kind of what's hinted at, isn't it? With regards to the key and getting the, the power of the time Lords and so on, the Vardens and obviously the bad guys that appear later on talk about, you know, controlling time and the power of the time Lords and all. I think it's all part of that kind of world building, that kind of hinting Mm. towards that kind of thing. But I I agree with you, Dan, it doesn't quite, the Vardens don't quite elaborate on it as much as maybe we get later on. I think that I'm just, as you've been saying that, I've been sort of thinking about some of my complaints about this, and I think a lot of it stems down to the fact that there are some really good ideas in this, um, in, in this story as a whole. It, it, and it wouldn't have taken a lot more to, to sort of realise them, I don't mm. think, in, in the, if they'd have used the time better. And I think a lot of it, it, stems, it stems down to sort of wasted potential, and the, the Vardans are part of that. Okay, yeah, fair enough. Because we'll see as it goes through. We know, I want to know more about the Vardens. Never heard of them before, and they seem to have the potential 
to be a really interesting villain. I wonder if they come back in New Who. That'd be a turn up, wouldn't it? Well, they haven't so far. No. Um, it was a, a line from Leela that I thought was, was lovely when it was all kicking off, which was, you keep your president, I'll keep my doctor, I thought. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. great. Yeah, I did like that. Uh, let's see, where are we there? Yeah, so Leela's basically tired of talking and she's, you know, still, she's going to be banished and, and take Rodan with her. Um, then she says, if reason dictates the doctor is a traitor, then reason is a liar. I like Which that. Which was another good line. Yeah. So it's been a good opening of the episode for Leela. Uh, the Doctor and Bruce are in the lead-lined room, and it's done completely to the letter, and now they can talk. Uh, again, it jumps around quite a lot. Leela and Rodan are moving through the corridors, they're halted by a guard, and then we cut back and Bruce and the Doctor and mid-conversation about the strain being nearly unbearable on the Doctor, and him sort of thanking Bruce and apologising to him. Bruce are asking whether his data is accurate. But basically, the gist is that the Vardans can travel along any transmission wavelength, and including the wavelength of your thoughts, so they're effectively telepaths. Mm. But the lead shields block the, you know, block the wavelengths, so the, the minds can't be read. It looks badass as well, mind. The, the Doctor's uh, quarters or office or the room that they've had done out anyway. It looks good, I think. Yeah. Yeah, you can. I think that's where a lot of the budget went. <laughs> <laughs> All that lead. Yeah, All that lead. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, making it making shoot. it look good. You shoot lead. The thing they're called bullets. It's not working lead. It's 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 shoot lead. Um, and basically, the time, doctor saying that time lords are too single minded, and sort of distracts Bruce with a with a question about T to prove his point, and Bruce, to his credit, yields to the logic. And then we're back with Rodan and Leela. Uh, they're under guard. And it's, uh, it took me a minute to realise that it was actually Android because I'd forgotten he existed. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I suppose there is quite a bit of move, quite a bit going on, like, cast-wise, isn't there? Because we get Leela and... Uh, bloody hell, I'm so bad with names. Leela and Rodan. Um they're out in, they've been banished, haven't they? So they're out in the wastelands and they meet the savages and all, all the Gallifreyans who are not Time Lords. And we have Nesbin, who is the leader of them. So there's all these new characters being introduced from that aspect. And then there's people, like you said, with regards to Andred, who we've not seen for 10 minutes. And because there's so much going on, I kind of forgot who they were as well. There's a lot of new faces popping up, isn't there? Yeah, and... For all the times I'm going to say in, in as we go through this, where we see extended shots of people doing nothing, you know, it could have been, it could have just taken a breath and said, you know, just taken a minute for the characters to land and to actually get themselves into your mind. Okay. You know, things like that. It's, it's just, I just found it frustrating, as I say, but we found out that the Doctor had to banish Leela because she's even more single-minded than Barusa. But she'll be safe in the barbarian gardens because it's a natural habitat. As a, you know, basically as a, as a hunter and, and a fighter, she'll be fine. And we get a good old quarry shot. Yes, back in the quarry. Yes, we love it. Uh, Rodan's knackered already. It's the first time outside the Citadel. She's frightened by nature. Um, they stop for a, a little rest and immediately are effectively kidnapped by a bunch of tribespeople with spears and knives. 
the Castellan puts one of his men in place as the Doctor's bodyguard. Uh, it wants to keep the Doctor in power, and he, but if anything happened to him, then the Castellan would have to take over, and he doesn't want that yet. Mm-hmm. Slimy little prick. Castellan wanker. He's a piece <laughs> of crap, isn't he? Castellanker. <laughs> Uh, Leela and Rodan are taken to the uh, to the sort of tribe's camp. Uh, they take Leela's knife off, and she immediately gets it back off uh, off Nespin. Uh, Leela's just like, "No, fuck you, mine." Uh, which which I did like, to be honest. Uh, explaining that they're escaping the citadel, they're not spies, and Nespin saying, "Oh, they must want protection." Then Leela's fine; she can survive anywhere because uh, she's a warrior of the Seventeen. And then the point out basically that Rodan is crap. She will. She will last three days. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, my, my, my summation of you know my, my first uh, starry-eyed vision of, of Rodan was great, but I've I've since made the note. Rodan is a Tory. <laughs> <laughs> she, yeah, she wouldn't. She she has food in pill form, but doesn't know what she'd do after that or what to do for shelter. Yeah, it's not good luck, is it? No. no and the poor. <laughs> oh god <laughs> the doctor's told Barusa only dare um, basically have to leave that room now because the Vardans will be suspicious if you stay shielded for too long K9 is in the TARDIS doing some wee wee beep boop uh, <laughs> I did quite like when the doctor and Barusa are walking around and he apologises for his lateness and the castle and thanks him and he's like not you I was talking to the, I was talking to the Vardans, you prick. Yeah, oh man, he's just horrible. But I suppose he, he's he's doing what he he should be doing. We're supposed to hate the guy, aren't we? We're supposed to hate the Castellan, sir. Oh yeah, yeah, we are. And he plays his part well. Um, Barusa refuses to acknowledge the absolute uh, authority of the of the jizz bags. They're, they're just waving in the breeze before before him, um, and he, he gets fired upon. It's not it's not fatal. Because the doctor stops him as he'll be useful, and he says, "Get up, you stiff-necked old chancellor!" As he picks him up, um, Bruce is then effectively put under house arrest. And if he causes any trouble, they'll the Vardans will kill both him and the doctor. So we're seeing that the Vardans are ruthless, even if they have the least intimidating voices I've ever heard. A little bit of a Welsh twang to them, isn't there? But it's not even that; they're just quite high-pitched and just not very scary. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I get that. But it's 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 the big lads from from fourth year down down the snicket threatening to murk you, isn't it? <laughs> it's a bit. I know your mum. <laughs> I know your mum. I know where you live. Yeah. <laughs> um, the doctors trying to encourage the Vardans to take their their actual proper form as it's disconcer- disconcerting talking to the uh, to the shimmering jizz bags. Uh, they're saying it's not not the right time. They need to fully subjugate the time laws to do so. And the doctor uses the cast line saying, you know, he's keen. He was obviously keen to help because he's a little slime ball, and he wants all resistance blocking. And the, you know, the cast he says something that's just brilliantly crawling so well peaceful cooperation is preferable Black. yeah <laughs> yeah he's he's the human equivalent of a sticky cinema floor 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just nobody likes him. Nobody wants nants wants it ever. Uh, so the Doctor wants a list of the most reliable time lords in senior positions, and the castle, I know he offers to make a list of known troublemakers too, because he's such a good little castellan. Shithead. <laughs> yeah. Um, we get another unnecessary shot of K9 doing wee wee beep boop things, in case we've forgotten in the intervening sort of two and a half, three minutes. Uh, <laughs> quite like the, the Castellan comes along and he's asking if he can get the doctor anything. And he says a jelly baby from my right hand pocket and he, and he wants an orange one but there's none left and he just grabs the Castellan's hand and crushes the entire bag of jelly babies. Says, one grows tired of jelly babies, Castellan. <laughs> <laughs> I just love the daftness of the jelly babies whenever Tom Baker brings it up. It really tickles me. Yeah. I like it, yeah. It's a laugh. And it's uh, this is one grows tired of almost everything Castellan except power. And, uh, you know, there have been no incidents since the curfew. No, what a splendidly subservient citadel you run. And it's just all grim, isn't it? Oh. Yep. Ah, oh, dear. Um, with regards to K9, you mentioned there about him being, uh, you know, here and there, here and there doing wee wee beep boop stuff. But when K9's moving around in this particular story, he comes across quite noisy in this story. There's one, there's one scene, I think it is in a later episode, to be fair, where he's just going across the floor. And obviously he's remote controlled and, and so on. But he reminds me, the noise he's making reminds me of an old electric remote control car I had as a child. That kind of whining pitch from the motor and so on. I don't remember him being as noisy in other stories I've seen him in. No, it's it's not conducive to stealth, is it? Mm. Really, it's it's. Has he been much um, sort of out, outside the TARDIS, um, moving around a bit? I'm a little bit. I slow. don't know. I don't know. I suppose it's difficult, isn't it? When when you look at certain stories that canines are around for, th- there is a lot of running about, and I suppose we get the standard Doctor Who quarry shots and so on, mm. and famously canine wasn't that easy to maneuver in certain scenarios so maybe he was kept away from that and i've just not noticed it before i don't know mm. he, he was out and about it when he came back in the uh, the tenant era right yeah that's true but you know times change <laughs> technology changes um but yeah he's uh He's a little gobshite and he's out and about quite a lot in this. And it's, yeah, it's, it's one of those things when he's like, you know, whizzing along and making those noises. I'm just thinking, well, surely someone would hear it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, potentially. But yeah. again, he was, I suppose he was, I, I'm not a massive fan of K9 in general, to be fair. But I suppose he's a means to an end because he did get his own spin off series, didn't he? With, with Sarah Jane, I think mean, K9 and Friends, I think it was something like that. And, the, the young Doctor Who fans loved him, and my little girl gets excited whenever he turns up on Sarah Jane Adventures that we're working our way through now. So I suppose he serves a purpose, but for me personally, I, I was, I, I've was i never been a big fan of K9, especially now, looking back at the age I am in 2023. I don't know if it would have been different if I was six or seven in 78, I don't know, but... Could well have been. I think as well, K nine. You could. It could have the same problem as a sonic screwdriver has nowadays, in that he's just a get out for the, you know, for the writers. You say, well, we need we need a way for the doctor to get out of this, or we'll just have K nine extend something out of his forehead and plug into that computer, and hey, presto, we're fine. Yeah, I get that. Next machina. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What um, about you, Tom? I mean, you, you mentioned about reading the books and so on, and obviously, K nine would have been part of the books as well. Seeing K nine on screen, what are your thoughts in general to the whole K nine oh, as, as I, a character? I, I suppose I, 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 I couldn't stand the little shit. <laughs> I, 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 I found the voice irritating. I found everything about it irritating. It was, it was, you know, canine. Can you attach yourself to this and do this? And then there'd be, you know, fifteen-second panning shot while an operator figures out what forward and right is. And go, yes, master, yes, master. I will go and do this thing for you now, master. But we love dogs, don't we? Mm. And canine, canine's a dog. And so you go, oh, look at him. He's trying his best. Isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, Canine's batteries were flat when I went to go see him. When I when I saw the, the Dalek and the Cyberman when I was a kid at the comic book store that my dad took me to, they had Canine there, but his batteries were flat apparently. So I suppose it kind of stands to reason, even in the nineties. You should have set fire to the fucking place and burned it. <laughs> <laughs> Not a fan of Canine then. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just think he's shit. I just, I think, you know, if if we were to do it now it would be a lot better but i mean when when, when he appeared in uh, school reunion in, in ten he was still shit yeah yes, master. Negative the thing is when he when he turned up there and when he's turned up in other times as well even watching the the, the like i said the sarah jane stuff with, with, with charlie when i first see him on screen in any reboot or modern day stuff i go oh k9 and i'm excited about it but within 90 seconds, I'm going, ugh, K9. Oh, but that initial still, sighting... Still than, sorry. Yeah, but that initial sighting is like, oh, great. But it wears away quite quickly. What are you going to say, Dan? Sorry. It's still better than fucking Chameleon. Oh, <laughs> God. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah chameleon. Oh, Chameleon. Fucking hell. Anyway, back to the story. Um, we'll get, we got a lot now about... We've got this list of, of troublemakers and threatening them, threatening them with banishment, and we actually have a scene of you know the the orange cardinal being too loyal to the old ways and and bits and pieces like that. So that fills up a few minutes, um, and Leela's rallying the tribe. Go on, Tom. It, it, it all goes a bit Les Miserables at this point, doesn't it? I've only seen, I've only seen Les Miserables once. <laughs> it will surprise no one to know I've not seen that. <laughs> we are we are we are uncultured swine. Carry on. <laughs> oh. I, we've got our cameras off as we record this on Skype, but I just imagine Tom then just putting his hand to his brow, covering his eyes, and flourishing his hand. Carry on. I'm I, I, I'm pinching my, the bridge of my nose so hard I've given myself an aneurysm. <laughs> That's going to be a record, hasn't it? We're an hour and what hour and fifteen minutes in, and our guest has already given up on us. <laughs> <laughs> we are uncultured lost causes. <laughs> All alone, I but at least, anyway, but at least we like Doctor Who, so that's you know. Yes, we've got something in common. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of bullshit about expelling troublemakers and then rallying troops and. And all the rest of it. Um, Andred's leading a uh, sort of internal resistance. He's dressing up resistance members as, as cardinals because they won't know that they're not, because reasons. Uh, they're basically trying to get the doctor away from the Vardans and the bodyguard, and they want to kill him. Mm-hmm. Dear listener, dear listener, 
So this is the end of Act One of Les Miserables when they're singing One Day More. You know, there's when there's all things going on, and you know everyone's explaining everything. Yeah, th- this is this bit. This is the Les Miserables bit. Sorry, Dan and Sad, please carry on. I was talking <laughs> to the listeners. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> we haven't got any of them. <laughs> <laughs> they're very cultured. They're very cultured. <laughs> Oh God! One of the seven, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The doctor's going into the TARDIS and leaves the bodyguard at the door, and he rescinds the Castellan's orders using his magic sash. And I quite like quite like it when the the guards but the Castellan will have me shot, and the doctor says, "It's okay, I'll have him shot." (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) Yeah, I call a rank on the shooting. Yeah. Um, I did quite like the doctor walking in and just hanging his hat on K9's tail. Mm, yeah. That was funny. No respect for him. Uh, Andrew comes in, shoots the bodyguard, and he has the uh, the key to the TARDIS now. The doctor's still talking to K9, but he's taking in some data or something. The doctor puts the Matrix crown on K9, who's still working. Andrew's into the TARDIS. He's got his gun drawn and sentenced the doctor to death for treason. And that's the and that's how the doctor died. <laughs> the, the the greatest bit of this whole whole scene though is the doctor putting the matrix crane thingy on canine's head so he can like sync with it or log into it or whatever it is he's doing and it won't stay and you can see tom baker <laughs> genuinely getting pissed off we're trying to balance this thing on canine's head <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it, it's the same sort of endearing as the set wobble isn't it yeah yeah, yeah it's great had they not heard of Blue Tack? <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> that would have been great. In that big coat of his, he checks out his sonic screwdriver, his jelly baby, gets out a pack of Blue Tack and just sticks yeah. it on K9's noggin. Yeah. There you go, K9. <laughs> Part four opens up. Sorry, what? Blue Tack Master. <laughs> I'm all sticky, Master. <laughs> That's a different show. <laughs> we're back. We're back to Doctor Screw then. Back to Doctor Screw. <laughs> we're, back to, we're back to the distressed butt plugs. <laughs> Step Doctor, what are you doing, Step Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Leela's stuck in the washing machine because she doesn't know how it works. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> and in a line that could come from one of those movies part four opens up with Andrew facing the doctor with his weapon out and the doctor saying don't point that thing at me <laughs> what are you doing step Andrew yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much like the invasion of time I feel this has took a turn for the worse <laughs> oh just you wait till we get into what the uh, to what the doctor does to Andrew's helmet in a minute <laughs> And that's after K and that's after K9 renders him unconscious. Oh dear. So yeah, K9 zaps Andred. Uh the doctor calls him a good dog and K9 goes goes to his work. Um the Castellan orders Andred arrested and all the guards who were helping him. And he, he waves it away to the Vardans as a, as a minor infringement of discipline, because obviously they're they've got the most authority and power in the room, so he's, he's creeping up to them. Uh, Andred wakes up, tries to kill the Doctor, but his weapon doesn't work as it's a patrol staser, and they're in the TARDIS 
therefore effectively outside of the citadel and is patrolled. You'd think anyone with half a brain would know that. Yeah, he's he's ready and willing to do some killing, any but we all know the frustration when you wake up and your weapon doesn't work. Absolutely, <laughs> developed a bit of a misfire first thing. <laughs> um, the guards come in, take out Andred's uh, Andred's men outside the TARDIS. Andred says, "There's no way the Doctor can exit it and, and stay alive." And he does just that. He leaves the TARDIS. Asks what's going on. Um, there was assassins there to kill him. Followed an attempt on his life, but he tells them Andred escaped, so sends the guards off to find him. Oh man, it uh, this this I'm finding so far. This is this is still okay for me. There's a lot of stuff we're laughing at, of course, but the the build up of what's the Doctor up to is is you said yourself down at the start of the show. Is this really the Doctor or is this somebody else? And then we get the whole the Doctor is being evil uh, and then they we find he's not being evil, he's got a plan to do something else and, and so on. And then we get into this and this episode, a lot goes on without masses actually happening, I suppose, to build mm. towards effectively what I thought was the end of the series, sorry, the end of the show before we get the big sort of secondary reveal at the end of this 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 fourth part. But it's it seems like there was a lot of build up for this twenty five minutes or twenty minute episode. Does that make sense? A lot of build up to a disappointing payoff is something I'm very familiar with. Fair enough. <laughs> oh, but, 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 but the climax of this episode is Yeah, baby. Yes. <laughs> That's one way to put it. Um this means effectively that Andred is also stuck in the TARDIS because if he if he gets out, he's going to be arrested or shot. And the, the doctor just looks at him and says, if you can't pull off a simple palace revolution, what can you do? Um, the doctor has jammed the scanner because while he's done that, they can't read his thoughts. And Andred catches up with the wavelength traveling telepathy thing. And we find out the doctor needs the Vardens to materialize to determine the planet of origin and how to defeat them, which, uh, okay, that explains why he was so keen for that to happen. Um, Andred's asking about using the Matrix, uh, but that even that's been invaded because they can follow they can follow the wavelengths and get into the Matrix, matrix itself, which is why K nine's in there because he's got no brain waves because he's got no brain. All he's a robot dog. Yep. <laughs> when you put it like that, it's all simple. Um, Castellan is already betraying the Doctor. Telling the Vardans that he's suspicious of him, and the Vardans just basically come and said, "Yeah, catch up, knobhead." Yeah, they've already they've already twigged on, aren't they? The, the little yeah. note I've made is is Castellan really smog. Yeah. <laughs> I like that Castellan really smog. Yeah, they're smart bits of tinfoil, aren't they? They figure the Doctor out. Clever jizzrags. Yes, clever jizzrags. Similar. Yeah. Um, at this point, <laughs> the back, we're back in the TARDIS, and immediately after that, the doctor saying, "At least they don't suspect me." When they do suspect him, ooh, and that's when he asks for a look at Andrew's helmet. <laughs> As you do, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know they're stuck there in the TARDIS. Why not? Um, basically, all the rebels are, are, are dead, and they're looking for Andrew. They can't find him. Think he must have gone to outer Gallifrey uh, when he's actually just in the TARDIS. We've got another thing of Leela training and, and rallying 
uh, tribes people and the one who attacked the citadel and the doctors added an encephalographic barrier to Andred's helmet which sounds like a euphemism it does it does but that's to stop the Vardens doing their telepathy shit isn't it basically here's the thing where where I got confused um, because I'm I'm not you know massively uh, read upon things and understand things so I always thought Gallifreyans were all Time Lords, but they're not. So you've got Time Lords who are Gallifreyans, and you've got the um, guards who aren't Time Lords, and then you've got the um, the folks who live outside. Um, they were called, what were they called? Oh, I've got it written down. She, 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 Bogans. Um, so I, I just got confused at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's not something that... <sighs> It's not something that I've really thought about, but you're spot on. I always assumed that all of Gallifrey was Time Lords. It's a weird one. That so obviously we've got the Time Lords who are Time Lords, and then there's Shibogans or whatever they were called. They were Time Lords who decided they wanted a more challenging way of life. So, so there was something to do with Shibogans and and the Jodie Whittaker who. Um, was it? I can't quite. I, yeah, it, it got mentioned somewhere, and I can't remember where. But I'm, yeah, I'm old and confused. Slightly drunk. <laughs> Sounds like my life. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember, and I don't know, and it's just going to make something that's already bouncing around and confusing a bit more bouncy and confusing. Fantastic. Yeah. Why yeah. not? Uh, at this point, K9 pipes up, which is always a bonus. Um, basically, he's found the uh, he's found the signal, but there's the can uh, the can't sort of drop it, and the doctor's got to force him to materialise. So he's got to play along and try and dismantle this force field. Oh yeah, we skipped over that bit. They want him to dismantle the force field around Gallifrey, but you can't do that without destroying the planet. So yeah, there you go. Um, Saying he can't do it, but Rassilon can, but he's long dead, but his mind's in the APC net. And it'll leave Gallifrey defenceless, but the only way to, it's the only way to convince the Vardans, so he decides to do it. Uh, Leela and Nespin are struggling to train the expelled Time Lords. Again, this is, this is kind of bugging me at this point, because we've seen before in the Colin Baker stories, where they've got multiple storylines, but the timeline on all of them feels off. Okay. I think they're supposed to be happening simultaneously. But the time it would take to try and train an army to attack the Citadel would be much longer than all the stuff that the Doctor's doing. And maybe that just... Time, maybe time moves slower inside the Citadel than it does outside. Wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. Uh, Wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> that is some, some me-level bullshittery. I was so about to say... Explaining that way. I was about to say, well, you say like... <laughs> If you say it um, it confidently enough, people will go along with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, they're still looking at uh, using the element of surprise to uh, to get in the Citadel and and rescue the Doctor, and and Rodan can be the guide. Vardan leader is telling the Doctor to not waste time. They already know he needs to go into the APC net. Uh, he puts the circlet on, and then we get we would beep boop noises, and he's found a way to do it. 
the Vardan's warning that they're watching his every move and monitoring his every thought, or so they think. Uh, we get a pointless shot of Andred helping K9 with some calculations. Uh, that data, that's what they're doing, I think, isn't it? Yeah, but... Yeah, it'd been you had to see K9 again. Fair point. <laughs> um, we've got the Doctor moving through the control room. There's a Vardan watching him, and the Doctor asks him not to stare. It's a delicate operation. Uh, Leela and the tribe uh, are running about. The Doctor's head first in the machine, very much like he's stuck in a dish, uh, washing machine. Uh, <laughs> he's a dishwasher there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, are you, what are you doing, Step Vardan? Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus Christ! <laughs> at that point, everything shakes. Everything shakes violently. <laughs> uh, the Castellan falls down some stairs, which couldn't happen to a nicer person. <laughs> and then we get the line uttered as he's head stuck headfirst in a machine. <laughs> Hang on, Doctor, you're nearly there. <laughs> and he's he's succeeded in what he set out to do. Uh, he's removed some of the force field. K9 and Andred leave to get to the president's office, and uh, K9 has to remind Andred about his helmet. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, you're just going to chuckle every time I say helmet now, aren't you? Uh, yeah, I've gone. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. well, so, yeah, this, uh, this is where we realise that, that it's like what you were saying, Sad, that a lot's going on without anything really happening. Um, the doctor, we found out the doctor hasn't taken out the force field, but has, uh, has made a sizable hole. Uh, so that things can slip in. Uh, the Castellan's freaking out. The Vardans say that they have their protection for now, so it's and, and the hole in the force field isn't necessarily permanent. The Vardans finally feel safe and reveal their true form, and they just look a bit Nazi-ish. They do. Oh, they, so they, if you, they look like Nazi Boy Scouts. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very specific club, isn't it? I imagine you've got to have a is. real. It's, it's, oh. it's the Hitler Youth. In space. In space. I mean, they should, they should be fucking brilliant, the Vardans. They could travel on any wavelength, anything like that. And they turn up and they, they, they look like um, your, your bastard stepchild. Yeah. <laughs> Went wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, very underwhelming. Um, I think it's fair to say. But if you're playing on doc, playing along Doctor Who pod bingo, we've had quarries and now we've got Nazis. So we're, go. hit, we're hitting all the traditional notes. Uh, K9 and Andrew are walking through the corridors and Andrew shoots a guy. Okay. Uh, the tribe is still moving around. Uh, Leela tells Nespin to... Yeah. Uh, Nespin is sent with a force to attack the guards and make distraction and she's effectively leading the infiltration team and we get an extended shot of them climbing up around the quarry and then Leela nearly falling on her face. Uh, the, the hole in the force field is being entered by the spacey spaceships in space. I'll tell you what, I love the whole, the, the spaceships at the beginning of this story and some of the other aspects as well. That whole 70s sci-fi feel. You know what I mean when you see it on like Blake 7 and Butt Rogers and all that sort of stuff. It's that kind of vibe and I just I just really like it. Yeah, I can see that. It, it, it was it was decent enough. It, you know, it, it's aged pretty well, I'd say. Yeah. We have, and this is just a series of shots of people moving around the doctor and the doctor and the vardan are walking around k9 and andred are, are moving around the doctor and the vardan again k9 and andred again into the president's room to wait for the doctor k9 shuts down 
then Andrew shuts the doors and make himself at home. Leela Rodan and others into the Panopticon. Um, the doctor says he has an idea and jumps into the pe- into the lead-lined room and locks himself in, which causes the Vardan to shit itself and revert to jizzbag form. <laughs> um, also reports in the betrayal, the Castellans put in charge. Leela's knocking on the door of the TARDIS, and Rodan says, says, oh, well, it might have been the President's office, so they just go for another wander. The Castellan orders the Doctor sh- uh, shot on sight. The Doctor puts the sash, the circlet, and the scepter all on K9. So he's like a nice little mannequin. Yeah. Uh, The the Vardan orders the door broken down, but the guards get killed by Leela and the tribe, and the Vardan shits itself and runs away. So, you know, not exactly all powerful either. No, no. But Leela's, you know, one tough bitch, isn't she? So I'd run away. No, you wouldn't. Well, I would if I was made of tinfoil. No, you wouldn't. You you'd sit there and <laughs> you'd sit there and ask her to step on you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, anyway, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the numbers my tweet did with uh, Jordan Grace standing on me with Scott Steiner uh, that, that did some numbers. <laughs> Bet it did. <laughs> yeah. The uh, the driver trying to. Uh, break the door down. The doctor just opens it up and they all pile in. And the doctor tells him to shush and ask K9 if uh, he's ready. The Vardans have detected an illegitimate frequency tracer. Uh, K9 makes contact with the Vardan source planet, Vector 3052 Alpha 714 span. And the doctor naturally orders a modulation uh, rejection uh, pattern. Because, you know, that's exactly what you have to do. The Vardans go go plaggy-baggy again, and there's no trace of alien waveforms on Gallifrey. So the Vardans are gone. It was that Yay. easy. World of one. Victory! Victory! Yeah, yeah, and there's much rejoicing and celebration. But yeah, oh dear, oh dear, what happens now? Business well, about to pick up. <laughs> shit getting real. After trapping the Vardans in the time loop and saying that Leela could be quite proficient at killing people if she took it up properly... Uh, the Doctor says a lot of stuff very fast to put the Castellan back in his in his place. He's celebrating as the future of Gallifrey is assured, but the rest of the party look afraid and they turn around and there's some fucking Sontarans there, wouldn't you know? Sontarans, bitch. Here we go. Again, though, this takes me back to thinking about how in 78 this must have been incredible as a cliffhanger because you got to wait seven days for the next episode, obviously. This feels like the end of the story. This feels... Uh, you, you don't know, uh, well, to my knowledge, anyway, you don't know if this is a four-parter or a six-parter when you're watching it. I don't know if the Radio Times had that information when they would publish their stuff. But it gets to this scene here. This feels like the end of a classic Who story. Uh, I can remember numerous times watching Sylvester McCoy uh, as the Doctor, who I watched growing up. He, he was the Doctor that was on TV at, at that time in my life. The end of the two-parter, three-parter, four-parter, whatever it may well be, is the Doctor and Ace saying ta to everyone or celebrating their win and so on, and then the music hits, and then you, next week it's a whole new story. This feels like that. This feels like it's going to be the end. And then you turn around and see those Sontarans all stood there. That's like, as far as cliffhangers go, that's that's proper. That's got to be right up there with some of the best they've done, surely. It is a very good one, yeah. Um, I think it's it's a funny one because if this had been the start of a new story, 
then it, it would it might have been even better because we've had four parts that have taken a long time for anything to happen for it to be all resolved. And now it feels like we get two parts where I don't know if it had been if it had been better to have a, a, a bigger story, you know, into it and maybe come off Gallifrey and have the Doctor try and take, you know, take the fight to the Sontarans. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to articulate, but it, 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 I don't know, it just doesn't seem to gel for me. It just feels like two stories rammed together and they got the pacing completely wrong. Okay. What did you think? Obviously, you're a big fan of the Sontarans, Tom, but what did you think of the cliffhanger itself? Uh, and does it kind of feel like two stories tagged together it, to you at all, or is it, it very it much as indeed. is? It does indeed. It, it does feel like, you know, we, we've had four episodes of, of Wiggly Wobbly walking around, oh, you know, the, these, these these bad guys are a bit shit, aren't they? But we're on Gallifrey, and we've got a lead-lined room, so there's interesting things going on. But when the Sontarans turn up, it was just like... Oh shit! You know, there's 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 levels to this. You know, mm. it's, because it's the same story. It's 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 you know, it's, it's like a horror movie where 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 you you think the, the the bad guy's done, but then there's a bigger bad just around the corner, and it's like, oh fuck, how are they going to get out of this now? Yeah. You know, it, it, it is it is the cliffhanger. I mean, I I, I remember you you might remember yourselves, you know, weekly weekly epi- episodic television programs. You know, talking with your mates in the in, in the playground. You know, what? How's he going to get out of this? What's going to happen next? And as as cliffhangers go, you don't know why they're there. You don't know what they're there for. But they're on fucking Gallifrey, and shit's about to go down. Mm. Yeah. 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 That's totally yeah. And we open episode five with the Doctor being faced by a Sontaran with its with its weapon drawn, and he just says, "Please don't fire that thing." And it's two episodes in a row now he's been faced with weaponry and just been very cool and calm and matter-of-fact. Don't shoot that in my face. Yeah, I mean, what we get now, I think... Sorry, Tom, I apologise. <laughs> Don't shoot that in my face, steps on time. <laughs> <laughs> steps on time. Um, I think what we get now in these next two episodes is a lot of kind of the same thing. The, the, the next yeah. 50 minutes, I guess, is a little bit, I don't want to say repetitive, but it, it is a lot of, effectively, the, the, the Sontarans have used the Vardens to try and, they, they want to take over Gallifrey, get hold of the key, uh, and, and and so on, and they are making it quite clear, as opposed to the Vardens, who, who were maybe a little bit more vague earlier on, they want to control time and have the power of the time lords and and all that great stuff and if they can't have it they want to simply destroy it which is kind of the i mean that's kind of the gist of the situation isn't it yeah yeah it is and and i think that clarity of purpose does help Mm. because like everything with the vardans was very vague and 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 that worked in against him we now have a tan a more tangible villain we've got commander star of the sontar and special space service um there's sort of a fun little bit as well where the the Doctor only introduces himself as the Lord President and just flat out denies being the Doctor. And he says, I'm the Lord President, I'm called Sir. <laughs> Which I quite liked. Yes. Um, Another the, thing as well is, mm. is this is only the third time that we have ever seen Sontarans in the, in the Doctor Who universe. Um, oh, right. Um, so the f- first was John Pertwee, the Time Warrior, which uh, was first time I met it sometimes because it was bought for me as, as, a, as a video for Christmas one year and then there was uh, the Sontaran experiment which was a two-parter before 
Genesis of the Daleks. Look at me being a proper geek. Hello. And, <laughs> and this, this is only the third time we, 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 we see them. And it's the first time we see more than one Sword and Tower on screen at the same time. So this is mm. dreadfully exciting. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get that. No, no, I, I, I'm on board. Yeah, that, that does make it much more, um, much more of a big deal for them showing up. I'm then trying to, I'm trying to sell this story to you. <laughs> no, that, do you know what? That's that's working, but it it all it all falls apart with a helmet, as we'll find. <laughs> um, so they uh, they give the doctor a warning shot, eventually, uh, essentially shooting him in the back, but not fatally, and saying that the Sonsaran army numbers hundreds of millions, and they order he orders the rest of the Sonsarans to find the doctor, because obviously the actual doctor is saying that he's not the doctor. Are we clear? Um, <laughs> Barusa was listening in. He opens his secret door into the uh, the lead line quarters. And then we get a, a bit of filler of Barusa realising that the lead lining is there because they can't get any signals in, even though the doctor effectively told him that before. Mm. So it was a way to kill, like, 30 seconds. Yes. Now, with regards to what they're trying to do here then, because we've got the Sontaran fleet, uh, you know, loitering in space, haven't we, I guess? They're, they're sort of on, on their way. The whole plan, I think, seems to be to get the TARDIS wired into some form of control unit to stop the fleet arriving. Is that correct? Yeah, effectively. The Doctor's going to take control of um, uh, of the of Gallifrey defences from the TARDIS and try and do it that way. Bruce is helping them out uh, using a control panel in his office to set off the, uh, the, the celebration bells, which emits a high-pitched sound that sort of disrupts the Sontarans, everybody else runs away, except for the Castellan who tries to nick one of the Sontarans' helmets for some reason, mm. which was an odd one. But, you know, again, he's siding with the villains because he's a knob. Yeah, he doesn't back any winning horses, does he, to be fair? No. No, it's almost as if being a snivelling evil gets uh, bad, for your, bad for your career. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I suppose the, the, the part five... You get the reveal of the Sontarans, obviously, and, and we've got all the... Uh, everyone's running about again. I mean, there, there is always a lot of running in, in classic heroes, and there. everyone's travelling from one place to another and so on. We're in and out the TARDIS. But then we find that the, the Chancellor has the key all along. Yeah, we do. And uh, I will, I'll just shout out as well for Leela being very proficient with the knife and, and getting a Sontaran in the, in the vent at the back of the neck. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, yeah, I did like that. And yeah, like I said, just extended shots of people running up and down stairs. And Barusa, does he trust the Doctor? Does he not? Did he know about the Sontarans? Did he not? Uh, who knew what? And Barusa's got a weapon and the Doctor's essentially playing Peacemaker. But yeah, it's it's all about, it's all leading up to finding the Great Key. Yes. And that's what it is. There is a lot of back and forth and and all the rest, but ultimately, yeah, they just wanted to find the great key. The Chancellor's got a, a wall of keys there. You know, where do you hide? A, where do you hide a tree in a forest? And which one is it? And a lot of pontificating about the reason for the key and, and why it's hidden. It's to protect the Time Lords from dictatorship. And Barusa trying to give the Doctor a fake key, but the Doctor seeing through it. And you know, if it gets into the hand of some Tyrants, it'll be, you know, it'll be a disaster. And we, ultimately, it's, it's the key that Barusa opened his desk drawer with. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> that desk drawer is great as well because it looks like it's made from some kind of, I don't know what it is, material. It's a real odd shape and so on. And, it, you know, almost rock-like maybe. I'm not 100% certain. But then when he turns the key and opens the drawer, it just slides out like like a bedside table or something, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's great. It, it, was a, it was a funny little, it was a funny little thing filled with gadgets and whatnot. Um, the I quite like the the Castellan basically keeps saying things are impossible, and the Santarans is like, but we'll kill you. And so, well, maybe there is a way. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's, 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 he's lazy as well as cowardly. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not a good look. And again, we're just moving through the Doctor and. Uh, the Doctor and Barusa are just having a wander, and it's all fine. <laughs> and they've been protected from the uh, the Sontaran weapons, but it's thanks to Barusa's force shield and not the uh, not the key. And they're effectively making for the TARDIS as the, the others have been sent off to do whatever jobs have been sent off to do. I can't quite remember. And we're, yeah, oh, we're, all, we're all in the TARDIS at the end of the episode. Again, there's I could go through it bit by bit, but not a lot of it's. Terribly interesting. I think the only amusing bit is Barusa having a run. He's pretty spry for an older fella when he says it's so undignified. I haven't run like that for centuries. Yeah, I love that. That was great. When his batteries die and he starts running like a bishop from a sex crime. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's so one of the two notes I had on episode four. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, everybody's in the TARDIS. Uh, tell, it gives, the Doctor gives Leela the key and tells her to take Barusa to the VIP suite. Uh, we get a bit of a grilling of Rodan about her background, if she knows any astrophysics, and to forget everything she's ever learned. Because what he's going to do is switch the primary and secondary stabiliser circuitry with with the secondary defence barrier, which would close the hole. Stop it. And uh, and then Rodan asks for a screwdriver, so she's going to get to work on, on that hole. Yes, she's going to put her Indeed. Stuck. <laughs> yeah. um, the, and then there's sort of a bit of mental sparring here because the Castellan's figuring out that the control circuits are out of order and the cat repairs have been bypassed and it must have come from the TARDIS. The doctor explained why I had to stop the Sontarans, but Rodan's too focused on the task at hand and then wants a, wants a Finkel Gruber. And that's, a, that's just a, a tool for operating on the TARDIS. And we get, again, more of a summation from the Doctor than anything of why the Sontarans want the sash, the rod and the key in the Matrix, blah de blah de blah uh, The Castellan's up to summer. The Doctor helps Rodan up, and she fires up the TARDIS as they see the Sontaral battle fleet in formation. Uh, Storff praises the Castellan as he flips the switch and pulls the levers, undoing everything that they've just done in the TARDIS, and the uh, reverse the TARDIS stabiliser banks and throw it into a black star. Everything goes photo-negative, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey. Rodan gets knocked out. And that's how the Doctor died. Again. Again. Fourth but, time this... Sorry, Tom, go Is that the fourth time in this serial he's been murdered? Yeah, about that. It's, it's pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, fair enough. But what that leads us to is the final part of this, this six-part story. And some of the funniest i suppose on-site filming i've seen from doctor who now we also have the issue that they're going into this black star and so on the sontarans are in the tardis as well and effectively there's a chase scene isn't there through yeah. the the tardis and rather than having all these glorious science fiction 
lit up uh, 70s looking corridors. We've got scenes being shot on site elsewhere. Apparently it was something to do with um, a writer's strike or a production strike or some form of strike in the 70s that affected the schedule of filming TV which then meant that Doctor Who couldn't use certain studios in the BBC. So they had to they had to film certain scenes away from BBC studios, which led them to be using certain facilities for these shots of what is supposedly inside the TARDIS. And what we have is scenes of them running through sick bay the doctor calls it and they're drawing all the curtains and hiding behind the curtain that was actually filmed in saint anne's hospital in uh but all of these facilities are either in um, hammersmith or in uh red hill which is in surrey apparently is so i'm reading saint anne's hospital is a lot of the scenery of the corridors and the sick bay and so on when they're running around in there and then anything that was kind of machine based so when the Sontarans and the Castellan are pulling levers and, and so on, and the Doctor's running around, uh, going through that sort of the same, almost like a warehouse space in a way, on and those steps with Leela, and they pass through it three or four times. That was all taking place in a, um, a, a gas location for a company called British Oxygen in Hammersmith, where they just got to use part of the building to film in. And that was kind of all they could do to show this extended inside of the TARDIS. And it's one of the first times, or maybe even the only times I can really think of, where we've been shown more of the TARDIS than just a corridor or the the room where all the Doctor's clothes are kept or all the separate control rooms, I think. That is fascinating. I, I, I didn't <clears> know what the, the, the locations, but again, I, I go back to the book. Um, and you know this was one of my favourite passages of the book, the chase through the TARDIS, and I had these these visions these, of, of you know what it looked like, how it was, what the lighting was, the roundels on the wall, and you know when I watched it on DVD for the first time, it's, it's a fucking factory, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, British <laughs> Oxygen, the company was called. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was to do with. The, the timing of it when it was filmed was to do with like the BBC christmas specials so i'm guessing the likes of i don't know morecambe and Moy, you know, you know the top of the pops christmas but all that sort of stuff that they yeah, always use to fix it um, Gary <laughs> yeah, there we go and because the the production crews were on strike or there was an industrial strike or so on the the timing of when the studios were available again coincided with when all the christmas specials were going to be filmed for that particular year so Doctor Who couldn't use the studios that they would have had before the Christmas specials started filming. So they had to go off site, basically. Right. I'm, I'm going to tweet Mick Lynch now and blame him for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was that, that whole thing. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a bit amusing. It was a bit annoying because it... it as much as they changed the dialogue and, and that was, you know, fine or, or slightly amusing, it, it was just people running through the same rooms. But yes. The oh. saving grace of this episode to move on from the from the location talk is what happens with Commander Starr. Because Commander Starr removes his helmet. Oh, that helmet. And... Then we get a dramatic close-up on Commander Starr, who looks like 
somebody tried to sculpt Kevin Sullivan out of mashed potato, uh, but was only working from a vague description of Kevin <laughs> Sullivan and his stupid spuddy bombs <laughs> about capturing the Doctor. And when I said before, you can break it down into three categories of shit. This was funny shit because it looked so bad, but it was just so funny. So, so, and they're trying to make it big and dramatic, and it maybe did look and was a bit scary in the 70s, but I have trouble believing that anybody was ever scared of that because it 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 looked like a sentient bollock. <laughs> I, I will admit it was a difficult one, but not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, powered through. <laughs> just, just finished it thinking about Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> uh, we're obviously coming to the end of the story now so before you, you kind of you cap off what's going on Dan with the finish of the whole tale there's somebody I want to give a little bit of a, a bit of credit to here. it's one of those um, unsung heroes of, of classic who and it's a stuntman who was involved in, in this story mm. and that person played one of not the uh commanding officer but he played the other sontaran who does a lot of running about and mm. there's a scene by the swimming pool where the sontaran runs jumps lands on a chair drops down almost falls into the swimming pool yes. itself. oh yes. that's that's this guy okay and Shoot apparently that, so that's it that's what i was going to get to yes that's that's this guy and for a stuntman what a fantastic name Stuart yeah. fell exactly get in this one that's that's so good but apparently in an interview he did that was all you know he just decided to do that off his own back at that moment he was told do what you can to make it more dramatic in these certain scenes so nobody knew he was going to do that and he said he very damn nearly fell into the pool because he couldn't see anything <laughs> with that helmet on but what also i found out about this this individual Stuart fell is he was quite a small guy and he used to also do certain stunts uh, for some of the female companions wearing their clothes, and th- including Katie Manning and Louise Jameson. Because he was so small, he would wear their gear, the- their costumes, and do certain stunts that were filmed at a distance, and nobody, in theory, would be able to tell that it was actually a, a small guy named Fell in these outfits, as opposed to the actresses themselves. And I think that is just bloody fantastic. That's- I love that. And I love that. You're dropping nuggets of knowledge on us like like um, like gold, si. Absolutely <laughs> knowledge. Size, size, size knowledge nuggets. He was also apparently quite well known on set for being able to do like flips, and there were times when he would get killed, or he, who he was playing was was supposed to be killed. So <laughs> he, he can only get killed once. Si. Yeah, there you go. So he, he was supposed to be uh killed off in the Sea Devils, for example, and there's another one it uh, Axos, something like that, where his character was supposed to just die, get shot and die. But he added in a backflip when they got killed. So he would get shot and his character from the supposed force of the weapon would backflip to die. And it was just, again, not in the script. He would just do it off his own bat. And I think that is just brilliant. What an absolute legend. What a worker. I'm going to send you a GIF um, uh, when I find it of uh, a guy taking a a stunner off Jethro and how he sold it was was amazing. He basically did a moonsault off a stunner. Love it. Um, we have a, we've said you said about the Sea Devil side. We covered that obviously. And then he was also in Carnival of Monsters with Stuart Fell. Oh, okay, brilliant. And he came back for the Five Doctors. 
nice. I think he was in was Bond he, was as he well. The rest, was he the Rastland Warrior robot? Was he the what, sorry? The Rastland Warrior robot. That's, that's who uh, it, no, he's only credited as stuntman, but it would make sense if he was. Oh, ah, uh, yeah. I'd love the yeah. Rastland Warrior robot. Yeah, but just coming to the end of the uh, of the story because we could go through all of the the ins and outs, but it really is just people walking through the same rooms. The the, the good bits I covered, you know, going through the sit bin and the the closing of the curtains to slow people down, and there was a bit with a giant carnivorous plant that tried to eat one of the Sontarans. Um, the giant plant. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. Um, and all the while, they've got Rodan's under hypnosis building something with, with K9. And it's uh, we find out it's called a D-Mant gun, and it's armed with a great key. So it's an incredibly powerful weapon. And Bruce is scared and says it could throw them back to the darkest age. And a Santaran appears and says, no, it'll throw us forward, and it gets promptly killed by the Doctor. Again, very undoctor-like. And it all comes to a head because Storr is taking a grenade over to the Panopticon and is just going to blow up the whole planet effectively. Uh, the Doctor follows him and they have a bit of a face-off, a bit of a gob at each other. Even, you know, it's going to destroy, effectively Star's going to destroy the whole galaxy, including his own battle fleet, just so that nobody else can have the power of the Time Lords. Which, okay. If I can't have it, no one can. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> very, very Kevin Sullivan. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm based on absolutely nothing I can't remember if he's ever done that in character but whatever <laughs> sounded good when I said it didn't it so um, I just didn't want to be potentially libelous um, the doctor fires the D-Man gun there's a he's big flash of light you never know you never know the amount of praise he gets on Nitro Nights he could be he could you'd just be tipping him, dipping his toe into this um, but there's a flash of light the doctor's down and the key's on the ground next to him um, Leela goes to leave wherever she's hidden but hears heavy footsteps thinks it's Sontaran but the doctor walks in and just tells her to put the knife away and he's surprised to see Bruce effectively the doctor's memory's been wiped he has forgotten everything that's just happened which is very convenient because he doesn't have to explain how he survived <laughs> I didn't even think of that <laughs> it's, it's, I tell you what I, I respect how brazenly bullshit that all is because so she's like, okay, he's fine. Um, and he's effectively, he's forgotten the weapon. He's forgotten how to make it. He doesn't know where the key is. So that, and, and basically just, Barusa just says, oh, yeah, that's that's the wisdom of Rassilon. So as soon as, Rassilon apparently made it so that in the very specific circumstance that somebody fires that D-Mant gun at a Sontaran who's got an armed grenade, that whoever wields it will be safe, but not remember how to do that again. Clever fella, Rassilon. Yeah, it, it's complete bollocks. And what's also... Sorry, go on, Tom. No, it, it is utter bollocks because, you know, we, we, there are so many things here that, you know, we, 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 we can discuss and spend hours discussing is, you know, the Doctor murking people left, right and centre, Leela murking people left, right and centre. This ain't the Doctor. And then just to, to, to wipe it all out with a big flash of light and... And oh, I can't remember. I mean, Jesus Christ, that would not stand up in court, would it? No, no. no. It's it's up there with. Remember killing this person? We've got you've got we've got you on video. It's up there with <laughs> it's up there with Jr. in the shower in Dallas, and it was all a dream. It is. Um, but 
But he, he, here's one thing. I don't know if you're keeping count of Sontarans. Were you keeping count of Sontarans? There was, there was surprisingly few when they needed to be. Right. So according to my maths, there should still be a Sontaran running around inside the TARDIS. Oh. Holy it's, shit. He's still there. <laughs> to this day. That is yeah. a that, that's playing the long game with stories, isn't it? One oh, day that, that Sontaran's just going to pop up and be I, like, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to tweet Russell T. Davis and say, "Invasion of Time, Russell, episode six, still Sontaran yeah. in there, mate." <laughs> <laughs> Could you sort that out for us? You know, that's yeah. a bit of a loose end. Could you sort that out? <laughs> I mean, it's, 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 it's probably going to be as dehydrated as a as a, as a pardon jizz bag, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what Santara uh, looked like with a big grey beard. Um, <laughs> you shall not pass. <laughs> um, so with the saying the goodbyes, the doctor's been cheered off, and uh, Leela decides that she wants to stay on Gallifrey because she's shagging Andred all of a sudden. Mm. No, I no idea where that came from. They had a choice from what I was saying earlier between giving Leela a big dramatic honourable death, saving a friend. Or she just stays on the planet for some time lord dick. They're death or dick, and they went with dick. The one that gets me is, I mean, obviously I was aware that Leela left here, and I've seen this 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 before. Um, and it does come out of the blue. And obviously the writing and uh, Louise Jameson, the, them wanting her to stay, and she was adamant she wasn't, and they kept it open, trying to you know convince her all the way through and all that sort of stuff. So I can, I can appreciate it comes completely out of the blue that all of a sudden they're a couple and that's that. It's not like Susan in the story that we covered where she stays behind in the 60s and you can see a relationship building with the person she's going to stay with. This is out of the blue. But okay, circumstances dictate that's the way it is because of what was going on behind the scenes. All of a sudden, K9 just turns around and goes, yeah, I'm staying too, mate. That yeah. seemed even more out of the blue to me. To, to, to look after the mistress. Mm. Um, yeah, that's fine. I mean, you know, if I was watching that back in the day, I'd, I'd be quite happy because the gobby little bastards staying. Or so you think. Oh, well, that's the big twist, isn't it? We have the uh, we have the little goodbye from Leela saying she'll miss the doctor and he just smiles and leaves. And we have the moment where he's behind the TARDIS door saying, I'll miss you too, savage. Um, the TARDIS dematerialises. Barusa and Leela speculate about where the doctor will go now and whether he'll be lonely. The doctor has a... Uh, a box that he's moving out of storage and it's K9 Mark II and we get Tom Baker's psychotic, creepy smile to end the episode. Yeah, and that was not just the end of the episode, that was the end of the series. Yeah. And like I said, there there were some good ideas in there, there were some good bits, but I was left just underwhelmed by the whole thing, unfortunately. Is that so, your whole summary, Dan? <laughs> uh, well, I, I, I am. I'll, I'll just. I will be honest. I'm, I'm having to wrap up my thoughts quite quickly because I am going to have to go in the next couple of minutes. So you, you guys might just have to uh, wrap up on your own. I've, uh, I've, I've got a dog to walk that is absolutely busting for a shit. Not to put too fine a point on it. Um, but yeah, it, it was just a bit disappointing. Um, obviously, I love it. I, I like it because it's Doc Two, but I won't rush back to watch this again. Um, to be perfectly honest, it there were, bit, there were bits and pieces to like you know 
Tom Baker's performance, as we said, and the interaction with Barusa and the Castellan plays a great villain. But <laughs> good ideas executed mediocre to badly is probably the most generous I can be with it. Oh, okay, fair enough. Well, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self and all the brilliant content you are involved in online? And then once you have departed to go and uh, get your dog to poop, <laughs> Tom and I will give our final thoughts and uh, wrap up here. Tell, tell the world why Dan is wrong. Yeah, and I, for, and I look forward to hearing it. Um, but thank you for coming on, Tom. It's been great to talk to you, mate. Uh, we'll have to well, do this. We'll have to do this again in the future. Um, if if anybody out there wants to hear more of me talking about stuff, I'm on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date or movies that are 25 years out of date. If you want to... Uh, I was about to start that again, then I'm fluffing my lines because I'm under pressure. Uh, stuff where, where I do the stuff where I do the talkings. Uh, at UTT Podcast, Unbooking the Territory, where we do the first and last of professional wrestling, myself and UTT Rob. Uh, side project, Unbooking the Tankatory and Unputting the Territory, the former being the life and times in WCW of the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott. That is coming to an end. As, and Unputting the Territory, the Gator Golf Tournament on Being the Elite is, uh, is already finished. Uh, so two niche projects, we are replacing them with stuff coming up soon. So keep an eye out for those. And I will hand over to the two better thirds of this show to see you out and explain why I'm a gibbering idiot. I'll speak to you next week, Dan. See you next week. Oh, by the way, so next week we're doing uh, one of the uh, Peter Cushing movies because uh, I know you won't remember by the time we get to, by the time you get to the uh, the end of the episode, uh, we'll be doing Doctor Who and the Daleks to round out the season. Right. Great. I will obviously message you during the week because I'm bound to forget about that within t- 10 minutes of ending this call. So, Brilliant. See you soon, guys. Thanks again, Tom. I'll see you soon. Bye. So then, Tom. So. So, explain to me why Dan is wrong. Okay. Yes, there's too much going on. Yes, it could, should have been a uh, four-episode serial. But it's a lot of fun. There's a lot going on. You get exposition of Gallifrey, you get some Tarans, you get Vardens, who we'll never see ever again for some reason, don't know why. Um, but it, 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 it is, it's fun, it's daft, it's stupid. Yes, there's a lot of running around in corridors, yes, there's a lot of shite that could be cut out. But I, I just think, as a story, a Doctor Who story that, that tells you something about the doctor tells you something about where he's from i i I think it's great i think it's bloody great fair enough Uh, my thoughts are i've said before i try and watch these things all in one hit Mm. um two reasons uh one i feel that for me and the way my mind works i can follow the story and get a a, a proper I, i can properly review i guess the thing the whole story because I've watched it from start to finish in one go, I can see where the story's gone and so on. And then secondly, because my memory is atrocious. So if I watch a few episodes, go away, come back, I kind of need those long recaps to remind me of what I've already seen. Mm. This here, I actually watched four episodes initially. Yeah. Um, we, we were you know, going back and forth a little bit. A, a big thing about our fourth season of the podcast is that 
our schedule's been a little bit up in the air and, and chopping and changing for various reasons to do with you know work and you know real life tends to get in the way doesn't it but i watched four episodes of this before what we were doing that weekend recording wise changed so i watched something else to record the yeah. following day and then came back and watched the last two before we recorded today now the first four episodes i really enjoyed i thought okay yeah i agree with a lot of what you said there there's a lot of silly there's a lot of daft there's a lot of i suppose 70s sci-fi daftness attached to what goes on here but to me that that's part of the charm of the show that's part of the charm of classic who i would have been quite happy with the story ending with the Vardens being defeated. And don't get me wrong, the cliffhanger of the Sontarans turning up is, to me, up there. It's one of the... In all the shows we've done, I think we're pushing 60 episodes of the podcast now, in all the stories we've done from Classic Who, we talk about the cliffhangers a great deal. That cliffhanger is up there as one of the best I've seen. Because it comes out of left field. It comes out of nowhere, and it's a proper, oh my goodness, I can't wait to watch next week. But if we didn't have that cliffhanger which would have been a shame because it was brilliant, like I said. But if we didn't have that cliffhanger and the story ended with the Vardens, I'd have been perfectly happy with that. Yeah. The last two episodes feel like a different story tagged on the end. And I don't think... That that wasn't quite finished. Yes, exactly. And I don't think it does the previous four justice. No. Especially the cliffhanger. I feel the cliffhanger deserved better from what we got after it, if I'm explaining that properly. Oh no no no! I I I, I quite agree. Listen, I, I I I I totally accept that. You know, I've I've made you watch three hours of absolute dog shit. Um, <laughs> you know, but I I I just have I, I just have a, a, a passion and a, a affiliation for the, for this story. Um, and while I know it's it's you know it's never going to be in anybody's top ten. It's you know there's some great sci-fi bollocks in there. There's some yeah. great classic Doctor Who. There's some great lines and some great character acting. You know Barusa, the Castellan. Um, you've got you've got some Tarns running around the bloody place. It's 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 fun. It's you know you don't have to think too hard about it. Mm-hmm. And what I what I struggle with a lot of times in in new who particularly the 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 flux series was i I had to think too hard and remember what was going on whereas you know this i i i watched this uh i think i sat down maybe two two weeks ago and i did it i did three episodes a night um and i I just made notes and i I looked at my notes 10 minutes before we we came on the call i was like jesus christ i can't remember fucking anything but you know your you guys um diligent research and and whatnot you know sparked a few 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 memories for me and you know i know it's not the greatest serial in the world but you know it's tom baker it's leela it's 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 everything you know that i i I quite like but Mm -hmm. honestly trust me by by the book by is it charlie your daughter yes yeah buy her the book just you know just throw it out just say see how we get all that you know no you know test or judgment um because it's it's a great story well this is what i was gonna uh, was gonna be sort of my 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 sort of follow-up point really if you break it down and look at it literally just from a story standpoint 
So the, you know, the, the, the story in the book is primarily the same as the story on TV, isn't it? It's just how we imagine it in our head in comparison to how it's filmed and so on. Exactly. Now, you break the story down. You start off with the Doctor negotiating with some alien race we've never seen before. So that's intriguing straight away. Yeah. We have the Doctor pretending to be bad. Again, intriguing, interesting, what's going on here. And the Doctor's doing all of this to double-cross these aliens that you think he's working with. It, you you think he's trying to overthrow Gallifrey and cause all the you know destruction of the Time Lords and, and all this sort of stuff, when in actual fact he's behaving that way for the complete opposite reason of trying to save everybody. Mm. It's it's a really clever, I, I suppose the easiest way of wording it is plot. It's just a really clever structure and, yeah. and, and the turns and the twists and so on. And story-wise, especially the first four episodes, I really enjoyed this. I remember watching this. Um, I, I put Classic Who on in bed quite often. If I'm the first one to go up, if the wife's busy you know, working on one of her books or doing business work or whatever she's doing downstairs, if I go to bed first out of the two of us, I will put Classic Who on in bed to fall asleep to. Mm-hmm. I have put this on numerous times, and I always fall asleep, but not because it's boring, but because I'm tired. Uh, I wake up the next day going, shit, I really enjoyed what I saw. Where did I get to for the following? <laughs> that, that kind of aspect to it. So watching yeah. the entire thing now, I really enjoyed this. I like the peaks behind the scenes with Gallifrey. I uh, I love the running around and seeing more of the TARDIS in theory. I'm not a fan of how they filmed it because of their budget restraints, but that was out of their hands. So. But I, I think when we get to our uh, end of season countdown charting episode that we do with each season of the Doctor Who pod, I think I'm going to put this quite a bit higher than Dan might, to be fair. Oh, yeah. yeah everyone's going to put it higher than Dan might. He's, he's extremely <laughs> negative. He's a, he's a grumpy bugger, isn't he? He's a <laughs> uh, Sod him. <laughs> sod him, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so get then. Step Dan on. Get stepped down on, that's it. <laughs> uh, Tom, before we depart today, I want to say a huge thank you for joining us on the show, uh, for putting up with us, chopping and changing recording times on occasion. Even today itself, on short oh, no. notice, I pushed it back a bit because something came up at home and so on. So I appreciate all of that. And thank you so much for, for giving us a story with so much to discuss, to, to watch. Well, my absolute pleasure, and it, it, it's, it's great to be talking Doctor Who from Estonia, um, where I'm on holiday. Sorry to rub it in. I've had a sauna, and I've drank lots and lots and lots. Brilliant. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online if they so desire? Yes, if, if, if you're on the, 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 the Twattersphere, or, or X, as it's now known, by, by Space Karen, at I'm at Tom the Publican. Uh, I'm normally calling Tories monsters and talking about wrestling and Doctor Who and this, that and the other. Not very interesting, but yes, I'd, I'd love to hear from you and tell me I'm wrong. There we go. Um, and I will be ordering the book of this, by the way. I'm, I'm right. Uh, sorry, you're right. I should be ordering it for my daughter to read. But I've kind of got the idea now that I might read the book and maybe Dan and I will jump on and discuss it as a bonus episode from the book standpoint at some point in the future because he said in the show he's already ordered it. So I mean, that could be quite an interesting conversation. But there we go. Uh, yeah, great stuff. Um, 
if you so desire to hear me talk about anything other than Doctor Who, you can find anything I'm involved in via the network that carries this show. And that's SJP World Media. And on there, I talk all sorts of stuff, quantum leap, murder in mind, loads of wrestling content as well. But it's not just me if you get sick of my uh, grating Gloucester tones. There are plenty of other fantastic content creators covering all sorts of different topics, again, including uh, pro wrestling, TV shows, music. There's a show on there called Back When, looking at old movies and and uh, all sorts of stuff going on from a nostalgia standpoint with, with regards to Scottish Danny and Tyler with that. Um, we also have the YouTube channel, the Twitch channel, and all the live content and so on. All of that available, again, via SJP World Media. We have live football watch-alongs. Um, great fun. Those have been with Dan Griffin himself and, of course, the awesome Matt Lewis. We have Chain Wrestling Live on a Monday night, and we have Gameplay Junkies, which I believe has actually gone live as we are talking right now on the Sunday afternoon, looking at all sorts of computer-based stuff there. Loads of stuff going on. Make sure you're following SJP World Media on all your podcast players, platforms, and providers, as well as Twitter and Facebook, and you can find that at SJP World Media. However, most importantly, if you want to follow this show and let us know exactly what you think about what we're talking about you can do on facebook and twitter that's at the doctor who pod that's at the d-r-w-h-o-p-o-d at the doctor who pod ah tom this is going to be weird because i'm going to sign off now and not have dan try and make some silly rude joke and make me laugh at the end and ruin my sign off for the show so this is going to be a weird you coward why don't you do pyro Pyro podcast. Oh my goodness, I've got no time for that. Maybe, oh, maybe for in the God's sake, you useless boy. <laughs> and on that note, Tom, thank you so much for joining us again. And to everybody else, as always, thank you for Shut listening. Shut up and go away. Hate you. <laughs>